the Augustin Hozinga Show with your host Augustin Hozinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be. This is the Agostino Zinger Show with I, your host, Agostino Zinger, and this is episode number 741. That is 7-4-1 of the Agostino Zinger Show, and I hope you're doing well wherever you may be, Chico y Hombres, or Chico y Chica, right? Chico and Bill, whatever it is. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Hope you're well, hope you're good. I'm feeling splendid. I've got some juice in me, I've got some coffee in me, I've got some wings in me, I've got some, you know, fries in me, a bit of burger sauce in me and all that good stuff and I'm feeling good, I'm feeling loose and we're here, ready to go. Um, I've actually started my fast anyway, as well after I, I had that fucking splurge, bit of a cheat day today and then after I finish the podcast, I'm going to head off to the gym on a Sunday of all time. So if you're listening to this on a Monday, you would have heard this is recorded on a Sunday. So I've just finished having some chips and hot wings and we're going to go off to the gym, right? That's the most hood shit you could ever do, but it is a cheat day. I don't usually eat hot wings during the week, but during the weekends, I go fucking crazy. But one of the funny things you realize when you're actually on an actual diet, when you actually try to watch what you eat, when you have a cheat day, every week becomes less and less of a cheat day. You start to have like cheap meals, because I remember when I was a real fat shit, I never used to understand how people could have a cheat meal. Like, what do you have a cheat meal for? That's fucking dumb. Have a fucking cheat day. But then I used to get it why people would say, no, have a cheat meal instead because you don't want to carry over some of those bad habits for that one day into the week that you're meant to start, like the Monday, right? You don't When you're meant to restart your diet. But I think after a while, your metabolism just becomes, or maybe it's your appetite. Your appetite just changes for some reason. It kind of just changes. So the food I could eat before doesn't necessarily the same food you could eat now. It's like when you quit eating sugar for like a week and then you take a bite of a first biscuit. You're like, fucking hell, so many artificial flavorings. Give me more. Give me more, sir. Do you know what I mean? But the first hit that you take, it's like, ugh. It's like having a first drink after being sober or the first drug after, you know, abstaining for a while. It's like, oh, God almighty, all my flipping senses are going overboard. So I'm happy in this regard, that I've done such a thing. So it's going well, everything's going good, and I'm on my way, I'm on my way, slowly but surely on my way to becoming a Balmain model, to becoming a Saint Laurent model, to becoming a Celine model. And if you know anything about those brands, you know you know what I mean. <laughs> if you know anything about Celine, if you know anything about Balmain, and you know anything about the creative directors, you know exactly what I'm trying to aim for. You know what I'm trying to look at. You know what I mean? You know what time I'm on. You know what I mean? Size zero Aggie. We're going to be here. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be um, hollow cheeked out. We're going to be looking like we're on death row. We're going to be knocking on death's door, but at least we're going to fit into sample size. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. Don't ask me to lift the weight. 
Don't ask me to back squat anything. Don't even ask me to carry my own shopping home. I'm going to have to be one of those guys that, you know, orders their groceries to their doorstep. I think that's part of my um, toxic masculinity. One thing about, no, I've got a few toxic, mas- toxic masculinity traits. One of them being, I don't believe men should carry umbrellas. I think men who carry umbrellas probably are the same kind of men who sit down with their pee. That should never happen. I'm also the kind of guy that believes that you should never, as a man, have an Uber delivery guy deliver your fucking deliveries to you. So your groceries. You should go like a real man with your little notepad on your phone or a little bit of paper and you should chalk off all the things that you want to buy for your weekly shop in terms of groceries. You shouldn't have another man bring your groceries in a box. Those are some of my toxic masculinity traits. I also believe if you're on a bus or a train, you should never go and sit first. If it's empty, of course, have a seat. But if it's like semi-full, you should do the man thing and just stand up. Stand up. You know what I mean? It's not, you, you probably need the exercise anyway. Do you know what I mean? Stunt and all your outfit. Have a little bit of a skank as you listen to her music. But don't rush to sit down. Men who are on the train and they rush to sit down are the, kind of, are the, are the, are the type of men who carry their backpacks in, in their chest. You know, the type of men who carry their backpacks in their chest. Those are the type of men who run to the seat straight away. Bro, don't run to the seat. If the seat is not there available for you, it wasn't meant to be. Stand up like a man and hold the fucking banister covered in people's bogey and phlegm and sneeze juice like all of us do. Stand there and firm that shit. Because in all actuality, you're never meant to be on a bus. You're a man. Man should be in a car. Man should be in a range. Man should be in a fucking Ford, in a Dodge right in a Porsche the fact that you're on a bus is a bad thing so don't sit down like you're comfortable like you're meant to be here no stand up like you're on your way to fucking freedom like you're on your way to flip and make it and if you want to learn more about making it sign up to my course only (laughs) (laughs) 9.99 at rumble.com forward slash (laughs) I'm gonna start doing that I'm gonna start I'm gonna start I'm gonna start flipping selling courses man Allow this live streaming stuff. Allow this making content stuff. Allow this DJing stuff. Allow this flipping trying to make a brand, doing a bit of zine stuff, writing. Nah, level. Forget all that shit. I'm gonna sell a course. I'm gonna sell a course on <laughs> how to build up a YouTube channel to 20,000 subscribers over 10 years. <laughs> how to take 10 years to get 20 subs? 20,000 subs. <laughs> that's what i'm gonna do <laughs> i had to do 10 years to do 20 subs if you wanna if you wanna learn come here come here i'm your guy i'm your guy bruv if you're on a podcast with three digit number flipping monthly listens come here <laughs> come here bro you want a soundcloud with 10 plays come here i'm your guy <laughs> hundred dollars a month hundred dollars a month as well don't play with me come on don't play with me uh don't play with me but yeah um honestly if i start doing courses don't call me out don't send me a message don't dm me don't send me a discord thing don't email me don't twitter dm me let me be there are plenty of people out here scamming coffeezilla and that spencer guy howl at them every week let me get my scam on okay don't tell oh my god i've seen i'm disappointed i thought better of you but i've got no standards bro i gotta feed my kids i gotta feed my wife i gotta feed my husband i gotta feed my girlfriend i gotta i gotta feed everybody i gotta feed my mom my dad my little brothers my older brother who i haven't seen in 10 years but less about that said the better i've gotta feed all these people man 
I've got to feed people. So let me scam in peace. Don't expect more of me. Augustine, I thought you were better. I thought you were one of those kind of good guys. Uh, no, man, I'm not a good guy. Worst guy in the world. Don't get close to me or you might get scammed. <laughs> All right? Don't come close to me or you might get scammed. That's it. Simple as that. But anyway, apart from that, feeling good, feeling fine. New new year, new me. You know how it is. New year, new bloody me. Also, big up everybody in the stream chat that's hanging in there. I appreciate all of you who are here. Um, it's always a pleasure to have a live audience kind of checking out some of this stuff because, you know, I don't really think it's stuff that people should really care about, to be honest. But the fact that people do care about it is very appreciated. And if you like what you hear throughout the time that you're listening, please make sure that you smash the like button down below. I don't really ask for much on these kind of podcast streams. All I ask for is a bit of engagement on the whole likey thing. So if you enjoy what you see, you see what you like, please make sure you like the thing down below. Please, if you don't mind, please, if you don't mind, make sure you likey the stream down below. That's all I ask, all right? That's all I flipping ask. Nothing more, nothing, nothing less. It's not a bad thing to ask that, is it, really? Think about all the stuff people ask from you. People ask for your flipping details, your email. They want to know your phone number. They want to know everything, everything about you. And all I ask from you is just flipping, you know, a little likey. Come on, bro. Come on. Don't be one of those weirdos now, all right? Don't be one of those weirdos. Like, please, come through with a like. Help a brother out. That's all you have to do. You know what I mean? Come through with a like. And I won't even guilt trip you about race and stuff. I won't say, oh, because you don't like my stuff, you might be racist. I'm not going to say that, okay? I'm not going to mention it. I know I just mentioned it, but I'm not going to mention it. <laughs> I know I'm going to mention it, but I'm not going to mention it. You get me? You get me? <laughs> I'm not going to say just because I'm black, you should give me some sort of, you know, you should give me chances on a fucking silver plate or you should feel guilty, if, especially if you're non-black, that somehow I'm in this kind of current state of flipping, per no, this current state of poverty purgatory. I'm not going to put that on you, but hey, I'm just mentioning it. You know what I mean? I'm just mentioning it. That's it. I'm just mentioning it. God, man. Can a nigga mention some stuff, huh? Can't he? Okay, cool. Anyways, let's move on. Next on the list. Next on the list is here. Whew. So um, I want to start off this flipping um, stream and this podcast by mentioning something that's really important to me. Yo, big up Wingus McDingus. Appreciate you, my brother. Big up, Has. Big up the chat. How is the cat fund looking these days? Yeah, bean big cheese, up, big bean up, bean cheese, bean cheese, bean cheese, bean cheese, bean cheese. Yo, big up Wingus McDingus, my, my guy. Wingus Dingus, my guy. Um, how's a cat fund looking these days? Not too shabby, to be honest. Most of the time, I say it's beer money, but most of it just goes to my groceries. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to say beer money, but I'm going to say groceries. And as most of you will know, I think most of you who live in the Western Hemisphere, who live in you know the Western world, the groceries have gone up so much over the years and i'm somebody i'm a very boring shopper i'm very you know i'm very um i have a, i have i don't really you know i don't really try a lot of things when i'm cooking at home i kind of have my meals that i kind of cook and that's usually it and i kind of plan out my meal prep and stuff based on those sort of like five meals i'm actually going to change that a little bit because i'm looking to invest in a rice cooker like a pretty decent one i'm just trying to figure out which one to get though because whenever you check tiktok or instagram 
all the hardcore crazy Asians who are really good at cooking, they always have really basic bog standard rice cookers. They don't have the fancy ones they have on Amazon that has like a clear top that you can see the rice on the inside that has like crazy LEDs and has Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. All the Asian people that I've seen on TikTok, the ones that you know you can trust, the ones that look like they can cook, right? The mums, the, the girls that live by themselves, the guys that live by themselves, right? All those type of dudes, they all flip and have rice cookers that look really basic, almost like a toy. But if you go on Amazon, they've got all the ones that look like they're for whiteies, right? Like for, for, for Europeans like me. They've got LEDs, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, a speaker. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit too advanced. I'm trying to figure out which one is the best. Is it just a basic, you know, $10 ones? Or is it the $50 ones are the best? I'm trying to figure out. Anyway, apart from that, I'm very basic in my flipping routine of what I cook. But I have realized, I have seen, even though I buy the same things every single week, the price of them has gone up. That's something I've definitely seen. So, you know, as, even though it kind of maybe seems like a lot, I think most of it is still spent on flipping, you know, groceries. Like just today, as of before I came in, I went to go buy some groceries for the week. And this stuff's probably going to last me until Wednesday. And it was already what, 40 pounds. 40 pounds. God damn. Like crazy, Jeremy, you know I mean? like 40 pounds. I'm like, that's one thing I miss about retail. For all my people out there working in retail, especially if you're working in a supermarket, you work in a fucking, um, in a, in a sandwich shop, in a cafe, do not take for granted how much you save, even though you get paid pennies. But in the UK, we get paid more because we have a good, like, standard hourly wage, but it's still not amazing. I think if you work in a service, you know, in like a service industry, you're probably going to get the, the minimum average wage. I think it's like seven pounds, if I'm not mistaken. Let me actually quickly check it out. London hourly wage. What is it? I think it's seven pounds, the minimum. The minimum, I think, is seven pounds. Uh, what? That's medium. Okay, medium said is 17. So, no, not everybody in my area is getting 17. What is a minimum hourly wage? London minimum hourly wage is, I think they're saying eight pounds, right? It's eight pounds or something? Eight or 10 pounds. It depends. Between 10, eight to 10 pounds. So, you get a decent wage if you work in a cafe or a bar. But one of the things that you really do well on when you work those kind of places, you save a lot of money. You save a lot of money with your hourly wage being that good and obviously being that decent, obviously getting free food. You save a lot of money with the free food. People don't account for that, but I, I really miss that. Working in supermarkets and being able to take the stuff that gets on sale for like heavily discounted price, almost like peanuts, to a point where you can probably just steal it. Do you know what I mean? Or just take it because you, you're friends with the person that flipping replenishes the sandwiches. That stuff is really um, not spoken about a lot. And again, it's soul-destroying work, especially if you've got ambitions to do other things. It's really soul-destroying work. Like, if you don't have them, I think one of the best things you could do in life, and this is coming from somebody that has a lot of ambitions and dreams, is to not have any dreams. Have, like, lifestyle or, like, family relationship, you know, goals. I want to be married at a certain time. I want to have kids at a certain time or whatever. But having aspirations, like, big dreams, is actually a bad thing, especially in a world where everybody pretends like they have it, but they don't. So you're on social media checking everybody. You're seeing that they've got all these amazing things, which they don't. They're, they're capping. It's making you feel crap about your own life. Yo, big up, um, Abe Martinez. Appreciate you, brother. Four hours last night, 
dayshiftnow.thx for content. You know how we do, man. You know how we do. One of the best things about working Monday to Friday is that, to be honest, you get the ability to like jump on streams on the weekend whenever you need be. And one of the big things about not being such a caner anymore, right? Me not going out and partying and flipping, you know, burying my nose in unspecified powders or putting unspecified round circular pill objects on my tongue and drinking every day is that I get to do more content because there is a there is a direct correlation almost a direct correlation to my decline in clubbing and going out and getting fucked at all these raves and the increase in content <laughs> it's quite embarrassing but if you're paying attention there's a direct correlation between Agostino not going out as much and Agostino doing more streams <laughs> it's simple as that I'm very transparent in that regard very very transparent <laughs> <laughs> i've always said to, <laughs> to people like if ever you want to check if i'm alive just check my twitter if, if ever you want to make sure i'm not i'm not in some drunken stupor somewhere i haven't fucking fainted in some bathroom somewhere definitely fucking check my twitter um but yeah um all that to say is well imagine passing away like that imagine passing away in a toilet somewhere kneeled over with your phone on the flipping toilet seat thing a straw or something and you like conked out on the side of you know where they have the flipping toilet paper and your head's like conked out of that and you're just like that because it's always un it's always like a horrible position you're like that conked out and your phone's just on vibrating all your family flipping calling you and your phone's just buzzing and all the all the kettles fucking shaking off your phone and going into the crevices of, of the side of your case right and people are coming in and like oh shit do you know what I mean? Especially if you're as big as I am, they try and beat the door down, but they can't because your back of your feet are blocking the door. And then they beat it down and they hear a crack and your your flipping ankle cracks as they pop open the door. And there you are at the back, like with your head smushed on the side of where the toilet rolls are. And then they're like, <gasps> and then they realize you didn't get a chance to wipe your ass and you've got shards of flipping, you know, brown stuff coming from the back of your ass. But they're not too sure if that's your skin or if that's your ass. And then they realize, oh shit, I might be racist. <laughs> my weekdays are so busy i really appreciate the weekend streams too thanks mate big up ooch big up ooch big ooch wagwan big ooch in the house flex if you're with me flex if you're with me yeah you know how it is you know how it is to be fair i should really calm down on the weekday streams anyway because you know it kind of flips up my sleeping schedule because i'm like nocturnal and stuff but I like to live on the edge. Let's be real. I like to live on the edge, you know? And to be honest, having self-diagnosed ADHD, one thing I've realized that I've done is that even though I've swapped my clubbing for sometimes doing more content or reading more and whatever I'm doing, I have realized I'm just swapping one thing for the other. I'm doing what real addicts do. That's why sometimes I think maybe I have an addict brain because I'm doing what real addicts do. You just replace one addiction with another addiction. Ta-da! Problem gone. <laughs> I'm like those addicts that go. I'm like those addicts that get into running. All of a sudden, they start doing flipping marathons and Ironmans and stuff. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Just stay at home, man. It doesn't mean because you drop one thing, you have to now turn into fucking loud, lead fucking Hamilton and shit. It's not that deep, brother. But hey, what do I know? What do I know? Anyway bringing the tone down somewhat and being somewhat mindful 
uh, and whatever and somewhat respectful i have to have to mention this i really really have to mention because i feel like this is really tragic news it's regarding the one and only silent servant and um one half of flipping or a part of a trio of um sandwell district unfortunately has passed away silent servant r.i.p silent servant this is a really tragic story um i just saw it on the interwebs on my side of the internet the other day and people are talking about it on all parts of the internet from instagram comments to reddits and stuff on the Bergheim community reddit i see people talking about it on twitter it's kind of really kind of grabbed people and really surprised people because you know i just i don't think they saw it coming and considering that how much of a great guy he is and well respected from people in the industry it's just really sad to see i'm such a an event and obviously even worse when you read the details of it so let's read the story it's a silent servant techno artist and sandwell district member dies um a los angeles based dj and producer john juan mendez also known as silent servant has died Men's management trial ag agency um, confirmed the news in an email sent to resident advisor uh, today in triangles one of the biggest agencies we have in electronic dance music if you know you know january 19th the cause of death hasn't wasn't disclosed but mendez partner simon ling uh, no simone ling and vasco and luis vasquez aka dark web musician the soft moon are believed to have died in the same incident so these are ebm legends if you know anything about electronic body music and you know anything about electronic adjacent no, electro adjacent music you would have known about flipping silent servant amazing music and i think sandwell district i would describe as like the best outro in best intro outro dj mix music you could find it's a really dumb thing to say and maybe reduces their artistry a bit but with full respect like they made some of the best intro and outro dj mix music you could ever make or like stuff that you want to make to kind of clear the dance floor a lot of djs will talk about oh like we have i play some tunes that i want to reset the dance floor with because that's a really important part of djing it's always not like to kind of have the tempo always at maximum 100 you sometimes want to calm it down a little bit and like get people give people a chance to get a drink to go to the bathroom whatever it may be and sometimes those tracks are a good way to kind of get people just reset and calm again i think southern district made some of that best type of stuff but him personally as flipping silent servant some of the best ebm ever and of course soft moon as well really really crazy and obviously um mendez's partner simone link so imagine him his partner and um silent moon all passed away at the same time a prominent figure in electronic music for over 30 years la-based mendez is best known for as a member of the era-defining collective sandor district alongside regis femel and function um after sandor district disbanded in 2011 mendez launched jealous good i'm um, sorry jealous god label with regis and james ruskin releasing records from the likes of varg faith fatal and black merlin Mendes' own music came out on labels such as Citrax, Byte, um, BTA or Byte, um, Hospital Productions. His final solo record, November EP, In Memoriam, released through Trezor. A new Sound District compilation where next will be announced later this week. Yeah, I think that's meant to be dropped drop in February, if I'm not mistaken. They've got Sound District soon coming out in February. On the, on the DJ front, Mendes was a regular at some of the world's best clubs, including Berghain, Basayani in Georgia, Kihidi, and is scheduled to perform at Phoenix in Arizona tonight. Mendes was also a huge fan of New Wave, minimal synth, industrial music genres he would all regularly play on his monthly NTS radio show. Away from music, he was an experienced art director, photographer. Read some of the tributes below. And one of the really crazy things as well, if I remember him correctly, he had one of the best ever, and I think you should really check it out. It must have been like early 2000s or maybe 2010, 2011, I think around then. He had one of the best, one of the best boiler rooms ever. And this was the era when that guy, um, Mikael, was a presenter of boiler room. Because even, you know, 
he, sometimes he was a bit annoying to kind of see on screen because he was always kind of involved, right? Trying to keep people back away. But he was like he was trying to be a center of attention. But to be honest, looking back, he was really, he did mark one of the best eras in Boiler Room. That guy, he was a host, right? That Mikhail guy. And especially during the Boiler Room in Berlin, those were the first times I think a lot of people got to see what the scene was like in there and how people actually rave and have a good time. They don't really care about the camera. They're just going for it. There was one of the best ever Boiler Rooms he ever did was the one in 2010, I think 2011, with Silent Servant. So check it out on, on YouTube if you haven't already. Incredible mix. All I think majority of it's on vinyl, maybe some of CDJs. And I think it was in... Um, I think that might be Prince Prince Alexander or something. I forgot the venue. Maybe it's one of those venues. I've got it's the one with maybe it's Prince or maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's Trezor. I'm not too sure what the venue is, but it's an amazing mix. Check it out if you want to give him a tribute. And for me, I'm definitely gonna play um, Death of Decadence. Unfortunate name actually track wise, but I think that's gonna be a good way to kind of you know remember him as my um, sort of like tune of the day. But obviously, you're gonna read some of the tributes from him as well from some of your friends who've kind of posted tributes on the end of this Resident Advisor article, and then of course I'm gonna um, read some other tributes that I found on the good old Twitter. So, um, to start off with, we've got devastated to hear about the passing of Wan from this is Rachel Grace Al- Almeida. Big up her. I think she's a writer at um, Crack Magazine, if I'm not mistaken, or one of those magazines. Um, Silent Servant, Louis Surf Moon, um, two Latino artists whose legacies and contributions to techno, dark wave, and industrial were synthesized by the very fact, mourning their losses today and every day. Pan says, Wan Silent Servant, one of the kindest souls we, enc- we encountered in music and beyond, an incredibly sad loss. Momo Reddy says, rest in peace, silent servant. DJ um, Intercity Disco says, shocking news about Joanne, Sil- Joanne Silent Servant, who f- funneled so many, so much incredible, often half forgotten music into our lives. By all accounts, a good man. That's something as well that you think is really good too, is all the people coming out and paying tribute to how much of a good dude he is. I've spoken about the music because I don't really, I don't know the guy personally, never met him. I did have a chance to see him play at Fabric. One of the things that's really disappointing, he never came to London too much. I don't know why really. Um, I remember seeing him in Fabric like, might have been 2018 or something like that. I forgot what, what year that was. And he was incredible. But he never came to London or England a lot. He kind of played a lot in Europe and North America. I'm not too sure why that was, but incredible artist. So it's good to see people talking about him as a person. Like, I just know him for the music, but people are saying, nah, he was actually a really good dude. So it's really cool to hear that. Another person says here, Silent Servant was one of the nicest people I've ever met. They're wrong when, they're, when they say, never meet your idols. He was nothing but lovely to me. When we talk backstage, devastating lots for the dance community i hear a lot of people saying this because i think he's based in the la dance community a lot of people are saying he's definitely a big loss to them boys noise says damn all right damn damn why am i saying damn damn r.i.p one silent servant heartbreaking news that he his wife and soft moon have died i only met one a handful of times i was a huge fan of all his music dj sets he inspires so many of us i'll never forget our back-to-back deepest condolences to his family and friends another one ace ace mo rp silent servant company um remember doing sound a couple of times within in bk many condolences and then we switch over to twitter we've got a few people here posting a lot of tributes as well um and this person says this silent servant soft moon situation is so fucking tragic streets are saying it was something laced with fentanyl drugs have been contributed to the creation of some incredible art but they've taken so much more do us um to them uh simon simone ling and their families right so there's a big conversation around how he passed away and especially his partner and obviously soft moon 
And one of the tragic things is that we've learned from the lot of people speaking about in the scene that most likely it was because of cocaine laced with fentanyl, which has been an epidemic that's been kind of plaguing, you know, most parts of North America. Fortunately for us in Europe, it hasn't necessarily come over here too much. We don't really have the fentanyl issue. But um, the fentanyl issue, for some reason, has absolutely decimated the US. And it's so tragic because it seems to be really, really lethal. And if you do your research, you do your readings, you'll know that the main reason why a lot of dealers are using fentanyl is because it's really cheap, but it obviously has a high ability to, you know, make people addicted. More so than opioids, opioids, sorry. So the common opioids that they would use to cut some of the drugs, they don't use it. So they prefer to use fentanyl because it's cheaper and it obviously um, can make people more addicted. And sometimes I've read it can make the drug more potent. Like if you put it in certain doses, um, you can actually make, or if you lace it a certain way, you can make the drug itself more potent. So you can either lace it to be more addictive or lace it to be more potent. I guess it's the same thing. But obviously in lethal doses, especially if it's not measured out properly, especially the surface of the area where they're doing the drugs or cleaning or putting it together and packing isn't done properly then of course it can be lethal and you know in ways that you know three people died at the same time taking that sort of shit and if i'm not mistaken the other tragic part of it which is even more horrific is the fact that um he was found a day later or something by his brother or something which is you can't imagine how that must have been for the brother to see that scene so all that being said it's really disgusting when you see people um specific people involved in that scene who are talking bad about the guy after he passed away. And, you know, there's no point in even highlighting who it was. I think most people who are in the know will know. But, like, imagine the lack of... Imagine the lack of manners. Imagine how much... Imagine how soulless. Imagine how much of a prick. Imagine how much of a dickhead. Imagine how dark. Imagine how mean-spirited. Imagine how evil you have to be to be talking bad about somebody when they pass. Even if you had an issue with them when they were alive. The best thing you can do is just shut your fucking mouth. You have nothing good to say. Shut up. You're not, you're not flipping, you're not obliged to give somebody their flowers or to kind of suck up to them because they passed away. That's not, I don't believe in that. But if you don't like, but if they passed, they passed. The best thing you can do to sort of quote unquote move on for the situation is just to be fucking quiet about it. But talking about it, you know, distastefully, acting as if they were involved in some sort of drug ring or some sort of nonsense is absolutely disgusting. And if anything, it shows you up more than them. It shows you up more than them because if the if the if the shoe was on the other foot and the roles were reversed, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't be out there you know smoking on a whatever pack and pretending to dance on your grave that wouldn't be happening so whoever that person is i don't care what the issue was honestly don't care what the gravity of the situation was it's not worth obviously going and disgracing somebody like that when they passed away now moving on from that it also is needed to say that there needs to be a lot of conversation grown-up conversations around people who go out who partake in this sort of lifestyle like i do who are obsessed with the music who love to DJ, who love to record dig, who love to club, who love to party. There has to be a really grown-up conversation around harm reduction. There needs to be a really grown-up conversation around really doing your due diligence. Because nowadays, I don't feel like there's an excuse for ignorance. There's an excuse for rolling the dice. It's almost similar to like, you know, a guy in his mid-30s getting an STD. That is incredibly embarrassing and incredibly redacted. Like at that kind of age, if you're getting an STD and stuff, that's on you. 
if you get something that's really terminal that is really on you because there's all the information you need out there all of the protection that you need out there to make sure you avoid those situations if you're willingly going in and raw dogging man randoms and then being surprised at the consequences you're a fucking idiot so i feel like there needs to be way more conversation around responsible drug taking and some levels of harm reduction now no it's not easy it's easier said than done a lot of governments a lot of institutions a lot of countries out there don't really put harm reduction as the top of their priority list it's hard to kind of find those places but i think little research little kind of a little bit more research a little bit more um care and time put into where you're buying your stuff vetting your flipping your dealers and that malarkey and making sure the stuff that you get is actually somewhat pure is actually somewhat untainted may go a long way in terms of preventing it or it could be beneficial to just start quitting stuff that could be a new movement especially with the influx of gen z kids maybe the older millennia crew need to maybe phase themselves out of the whole drug taking thing and just go back to creating amazing art and basically giving the next generation a platform to build off of giving them an inspiration to kind of bounce off of giving them something to aim for maybe that's what needs to be done maybe guys in their mid-30s early 40s early 50s shouldn't be out there caning it every single weekend maybe again i'm not saying he did but maybe people within that kind of realm who've established themselves need to take a step back from that and, re and really think you know what maybe my maybe my um maybe what i need to do is kind of contribute back to this art form by providing great art, providing great moments, captivating people, inspiring people so that they can go on to create great art as well and service their generation. Because, you know, there's nothing like hitting your first flipping drug when you're like 19, 21, 22, having your first beer at that sort of age or maybe younger. But the older you get, especially in those type of environments, especially if you're an artist, right? The amount of flipping free drinks you get, the amount of times you get offered flipping drugs in exchange of flipping playing somewhere, you know surely there's come, there has to come a time where enough is enough and you shouldn't be doing it at that sort of level at that sort of stage maybe so harm reduction maybe some personal accountability in terms of taking that stuff away and not making it the sole purpose of why you go out but fundamentally fundamentally it's just another tragic loss you know it really is a tragic loss i think one of the great things about being an artist is that you get the ability to have to be basically immortal because of the works you create live far you know they're basically you, your, your art basically outlives you that's why that's one of the great things about being an artist in whatever you know field it is but one of the tragic things about being an artist is sometimes you don't get a chance to fulfill your potential you don't get a chance to really you know get to your peak and he was nowhere near silent servant was nowhere near the soft me was nowhere near hitting their peak that's a really tragic thing about an artist that like you they you know you never know what they were going to create in the future and they never had a chance to create it because their life got cut short so r.i.p silent servant r.i.p um simone ling r.i.p the soft moon um i don't you know i can't imagine what they're going through as a family um friends connected and stuff um the scene the industry people that work with them utterly tragic loss for the scene and yeah man nothing but you know solidarity prayers strength for all those people connected with that group of people and i really do hope lessons are learned from this but if you're a guy or a girl out there and you're besmirching this guy's legacy and you're talking ill of the dead you deserve the worst in life you really do deserve the worst in life I'm not gonna say it because don't want to get banned from youtube but if you're somebody out there besmirching some legacy when they pass away even if you had an issue with them you are a big piece of shit the biggest piece of shit that ever existed and far more offensive words than that but we'll end it there r.i.p silent servant r.i.p simone ling gone but not forgotten in r.i.p the soft moon moving on from that moving on from that
Let's talk about this. I've spoken about this a million times. And I feel as if I'm kind of a broken record. I know this. I really am. But one of the great things about having a podcast, having a YouTube channel, having a live stream, is that you're encouraged to be a broken record because there are some people that tune in that have never seen you before. So they're hearing it fresh. But other people that have heard you speak about it are like, oh, for fuck's sake. So I get it. I get it. But we're going to talk about it anyway because you know what? I can do what the hell I want. So <laughs> I've been speaking about this topic ad nauseum and I feel like I'm just as bad as these girls or just as bad as these people because I speak about how much I hate this shit and they speak about the shit that I hate about as much as soon as you know as often as possible you know that's that that's what I'm trying to get at and if you're wondering what I'm talking about it's these relationship topics that seems to be the main crux of black urban based podcast they all seem to be obsessed with talking about love relationship sex and money now some of you would say Pagasino you're black that's all you care about true <laughs> but i want something more for us I'm, I'm 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 the great pretender i want something more i don't read a ton of books right and i've got a couple of new books actually as you can see here for the month of flipping um what you gonna call it right i've got a couple of new books over here as you can see here right i've got the 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 moby autobiography porcelain and i've also got this book here called very important people about um, um a former model talking about her escapades in the party scene so obviously i'm a very intellectual guy but i do all this stuff just to posture just to posture just to kind of um book virtues that's a that's a thing right and to kind of you know at least throw up another image of what a black guy is meant to be just another one like oh my god look at him he's looking he's gonna rob me oh my god he's reading a book he's safe <laughs> you know that's what i try to do so i am maybe part of the problem because i'm not being maybe true to my dna true to my code i'm not out here wearing flipping christian louboutin shoes and crossing my legs every minute okay i understand that but i want more for my people i want more for my people and a one for more uh one I sound like I'm speaking um, like, um, Igbo, isn't it? Um, the one thing I want for my people is this. I want them to stop with these topics. Please, for the love of God, stop with these topics because they're so boring, they're so reductive, and they don't go anywhere. And the ones I'm talking about is this topic. Please, for the love of God, please stop. Curse of the Shade Borough. Let's play this clip. Still, yeah, I wish a lot more women would just I think that once we take out that stigma and reject the stigma being ours. Yeah. Because if I cheat, it's okay for the man to do the same to me. Oh, let me be the one that's crying ho 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 around the city. <laughs> it is me that cheated. Yeah. I will wear my crown. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know if you speak but life yeah, is, life most, is but yeah, life, life is happening. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've gotten to a place in my life where you can't shame the shameless. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. if you if you are dead to shame, there's little Okay, if I cheat tomorrow and you want to leave, I will respect you. If you want to stay with me, don't feel you'll be using it to judge me every day because me, I've won the crown of a cheater. <laughs> I cheated, okay, okay, but I still I still love you. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're happy to be let's just say your man cheated you 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 chop it and move on. No, are you asking if cheating is a deal breaker for me? Is cheating a deal breaker for you? If I'm going to be very honest, no. Brilliant, right? I'm sure there's a queue of men waiting to pick her up because if she's not a deal breaker that means you have no deal breaker so you know you can do what the fuck you want so clearly loads of men who are very manipulative loads of men who you know who only kind of try to spot women who are very insecure they're going to be lining up outside of a door and i'm pretty sure she'll tell you she's probably not sure of options that aside 
do we really need to have a conversation again? How many times have we seen these type of conversations, these type of topics in various forms with various Nubian queens? How many times do we need Nubian queens to sit in front of very good quality microphones, very good cameras, talking about this nonsense every single day? Like, God almighty, surely you must have more to contribute to the world. And the funny thing is, if you tell these women, oh, all you have to offer the world is your pussy and your face card, they're going to get angry. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to say, how dare you? I'm more than that. I have a brain. I have a doctor's degree. I have a master's from fucking open university. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. Then show us. Show us. Black girl magic, show us. Black boy magic, show us, please. Because what the hell is this? Sitting here talking about, oh, um, it's cheating a deal breaker, bruh. What kind of messages are you sending out to the universe? I'm really big on what kind of words you put out there. I'm really big on the secret. I'm really big on having pictures of what I want on my wall. Hmm, I want a gold house. Picture on my wall. Hmm, I want an amber rose docile wife. Picture on my wall. Hmm, I want a cupboard and a wardrobe full of the latest Balenciaga and Rick Owens on my wall. Hmm, I want a wife that's not going to have any standards, right? <laughs> and any self-confidence or anything going for her own life is going to latch completely on me so I can manipulate and take a bunch of her as long as possible on my wall. Of course not. I'm into Who is? No one's into that thing that actually has a brain. But this is what they're into. How can you have a mood board? How can you practice, um, how can you practice appreciation? All that sort of nonsense, right? How can you, how can you, um, how can you, how can you have all this nonsense? All these buzzwords? How can you have all those little placards and little frames that single girls have on the side of their bed frames about keep calm and keep carry on or whatever nonsense they have, right? Love is light or whatever those IKEA fucking slogans are. But then you're running around with these sort of mindsets. Like, what is this? What is this? What is this? All this therapy you're paying for, and here you are sitting here, you know, advertising to the world that you have many, many issues. And all you need is a nice looking man to come across and kind of, you know, tick some of your boxes, whatever it may be, buy you a shitty, shiny Chanel bag, and all of a sudden everything is okay. These topics are redundant. We don't care. They don't really matter. They don't do anything. If anything, they make you look bad, bro. Like, come on. Have some standards. Have some class. Have some shame, even. Because why are you advertising this? Even if this was true, even if this is you, surely advertising it to the world isn't the greatest thing. Because who are you going to get in your DMs? Just loads of cheaters. <laughs> Just loads of fucking fuckboys. You know? Then you're there saying, I don't want a fuckboy. But then you're signaling, you want fuckboy. Come on, man. You don't want fuckboy, you want fuckboy. Of course. Like, come on. I'm fed up with it. It's annoying. But then on the same token, on the same token, I say all these words... I pontificate, I shout into the void, I get angry, I get flustered, I get hot, I get sweaty like I'm black youngster on a roll of molly and coke, right? I'm dripping, I'm wet. But the reality of it is, these videos get hundreds of thousands of millions of views. I bet you if you go on the Shade Barrow's Instagram comments or views things, you'll see this thing got millions of flipping or thousands of likes and views. If it's on TikTok, millions of flipping likes and views. So clearly, I'm in the minority. I'm in the minority here. I think that most people, most people, most people love this shit. Most people love this shit. So clearly, I'm in the minority. And I think a lot of people out there talk out of their ass. They say they, they, say they like, they say they hate it, but they like it anyway. 
And I wonder why. I wonder why people love these asinine, repetitive, boring questions and topics every single day. Like, surely this is not what you should... And again, I'm not telling you to go listen to NPR or New York Times every day. No, not every day has to be intellectual day. But surely not every day has to be, <laughs> should a guy pay for the first day? Should you wear your natural hair or hair wear a wig? Is makeup cheating? What? How tall should your boyfriend be? Will you fuck somebody on the first night? Do you use protection? Do you like to do oral sex? When will you like to get married? How many kids do you love kids? Rah, 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 rah. How much do you have to make in your bank account? Like, come on, bro. Like, really? How many of these topics? Really? God damn, bro. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Big up NJ Ranger. Yeah, exactly. Our shade room is a shade borough. Yeah, big up the shade borough. And <laughs> it's just the same. Bottom feeder content for bottom feeders. And guess what? I'm a bottom feeder too. I'm in a trough. I'm in a trough, right? I'm a little piggy. I'm in a trough too, bottom feeding, because I'm talking about it now. I understand the hypocrisy. I get it. My middle name starts with a H. No, it doesn't. But it's still, for the joke, I understand. But come on, man. Come on. Come on. Big up, big up the fashion road, man. Big up, big up, my guy. Um, the thing is, 10 years from now on, they'll be making the same points about the same discussions. Exactly. Don't know how they're not. That's the thing. Don't know how they're not. That's the thing. Forget me. Forget me. I'm not the target demographic. Neither are some of you guys in the stream chat. Fair enough. But surely they must get exhausted about talking the same thing. But then I think about myself, when I go to work, I think about, no, that's not true. When you speak to your work colleagues, what do they talk about every lunchtime? Bitch, you guessed it. The same shit. <laughs> my boyfriend this. My husband that. My cat this. My dog this. My kid that. My mum that. My grand this. Holiday. I feel ill. It's hot outside. It's cold outside. So maybe some people just like repetitive topics. Maybe they like it. Oh my God, I can't believe how cold it is. Yeah, it's so cold. Oh my God, the cost of living. Oh, the cost of living. Oh my God, my bills. Oh, the bills. It's like, bruh. But again, maybe I'm contributing to the same situation because I'm not doing anything different, really. Isn't it? I'm still reacting to the same topics, the same stuff on the news. But either way, I would like there to be a change in 2024. Please, for the love of God, can we pull back from this? Can we? Is that possible? I don't think so. But I'm going to try to say my piece. And hopefully, my voice has some sort of pull. And people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I like to see. Okay, cool. That's what I want to say. That's all I want to say. Nothing more, nothing less. Anyway, moving on from that one. Let's play this clip. So, I've made it very known. I'm not the biggest fan of this brand, right? I feel like I don't really get on my like race shit, blah, blah, blah. I think the whole race card thing is a bit lame. I think in general, you know, life should be a meritocracy and the greatest, best person, regardless of the gender, um, regardless of their sexual orientation, regardless of their fucking race, color, creed, or whatever nonsense, should get the job at all points. But I'm also firmly and obviously aware of how different structures and systems allow certain people to rise on top and certain people not. So, with that being said, I fucking hate Kid Super. I think the stuff is fucking shit, right? It probably be it probably doesn't even belong in H&M. It's fucking basic, shitty, crappy stuff from a kid that used to... You know that kid used to draw in your class? 
he could draw, but it was never good, right? He starts making clothes. Terrible stuff. But you have to give the guy credit for his ability to assemble three of the most random people ever in one room during his after party for his collection at Paris Fashion Week. You have to give the guy credit because somehow this guy managed to get gigs, Ronaldinho and Jim Jones all in the same room. <laughs> That's fucking incredible. Give the guy props. The clothes fucking suck. No idea how you won the LVMH prize, but when it comes to cultural significance, when it comes to having your finger on the pulse and being a part of the cultural zeitgeist and putting that stuff that people want to see, this is it. A combination of gigs, Ronaldinho and Jim Jones all in the same room is fucking incredible. Let's play the clip. So, amazing moment to see that, right? Amazing moment. And I have to give the guy, honestly, all the credit and props. And this maybe explains why some of the big houses really would rather have these kind of like streetwear adjacent guys getting involved. Because for some reason, actual fashion designers don't have this kind of cultural scope. I don't know why it is. Like, J.W. Anderson has way more talent and he's left pinky toe than Kid Super. But is he aware of who Giggs is? Does he know who Ronaldinho is? Can he even kick a ball? Does he know who Jim Jones is? Probably not. But if you ask him to design a, a collection for you, he could do it with his eyes closed and his hands behind his back and a pencil in his mouth. So I find that very interesting how the best designers are the best designers. But in terms of cultural impact, in terms of having the ability to galvanize people or to kind of grab people's attention, especially the wider demographic, or maybe bring all these different groups of people together from, again, Giggs is a very local UK hood hero, right? He's basically our version of Jay-Z in some respect. Ronaldinho is one of those, the streets will never forget footballers but you had to be there to kind of experience his greatness and of course jim jones is one of the greatest hype men turned into artists that's ever been in the history of hip-hop right amazing flipping guy only flipping blemish on his record is how he fucking um blackboard and kind of bad-minded max b but that's a really personal street beef i'm not really going to get involved in and um, free max b by the way but i find that really incredible i find that the most interesting part of it this ability to baby and, and again this is doing this is like loose and easy I'm sure these interactions were done, and done. You know, if you ask the kid super guy, they were done very easily. DM someone knows somebody, just kind of figured it out, and it all kind of worked in real time. And one of the other clips I really like is the clip of Ronaldinho walking on the fucking catwalk. Look at that! Look at that! Again, forget the clothes. The clothes suck, but look at Ronaldinho walking down the run. Like, why hasn't this happened before? Why hasn't Ronaldinho, one of the most, one of the greatest footballers to ever grace football, a, a, one of the only footballers who I'm still to this day, maybe him and Alan Shearer are two of the people that I so regret we never end up signing United. There was a chance that we were going to sign Shearer, he ended up going to Newcastle. There was a time we were going to sign Ronaldinho, he was at PSG, he ended up going to Barcelona. Those are two of the players that I would have given everything for Man United to sign because they would have changed the course of our history. But, one of the greatest footballers ever. Why hasn't he ever walked a fucking runway before? Considering how he looks, considering his impact culturally, why hasn't he ever been on the runway? Why did they have to take Kid Super to do it? Why? 
him. You gotta love it. You gotta flipping love it. Honestly, I'm like, and again, this is why I think a lot of fashion designers, for as much as they, like, I can understand the frustration of being a fashion designer and, you know, busting your, like nowadays, what's the tuition? Like, like 10 grand or something, maybe more, busting your ass, getting a master's to try and, you know, separate yourself from the pack and then having to, like, imagine having to get a master's to separate yourself from the fashion pack then graduating from that with a degree and a master's in fashion and then having to work as an intern for 22,000 to 26,000 a year if that for some designer that's a piece of shit to you behind the scenes but has a great image in public so you can't really say nothing right so you're stuck in this fucking hellhole where you're patent cutting for an absolute tyrant but you've got all this fucking ability and education and then you see Matthew Williams getting a Givenchy job. I can understand why that can make you piss off. But the reason why those guys get the job is because they have such a wide scope on different cultures and subcultures and genres and scenes and whatever it may be and appeals that they mostly get from doing their own brand or just being a cultural influence, all this sort of stuff. They have all of that stuff. And that's, I think, sometimes fashion designers are a little bit too narrow-minded, you know? They don't really have much more outside of life apart from fashion they obsess about it way too much which is why sometimes it makes fashion conversations really dull because i feel like like when i used to watch show studio i don't watch it anymore um because i think all the great hosts and the people on panel aren't really there anymore but when i used to really watch show studio one of the things i used to like one thing sorry i used to hate about show studios was the fact that they would always have a lot of industry insiders who never actually bought any of the things they weren't consumers they were just critics but critics without the humor i think one of the one of the only one of the only ways you can critique nowadays because people are so sensitive um is with a bit of humor if you critique and it's just coming across really snarky like Kathy Horn's a good example of it love her writing but she comes across like a miserable bitch right not her fault maybe that's her de- deposition whatever it may be but i think you have to have a bit of humor in it and without the humor it just comes across like hate but obviously those things kind of parlay into the other you know what i mean so there's not good criticism um there's not an ability on the platform out there for people to put out their stuff there's a bit too much navel gazing inside baseball talk not enough conversation with actual real consumers like those show studio panels like why wouldn't you if you're doing a balenciaga show right why wouldn't you have one of the why why not get one of the biggest spenders to go to, to be on a to be on a panel why just have like five people who are critics and who want Balenciaga to go back to how it was when Cristobal Balenciaga was there uh, or return to Hulk Couture? Why, why not have like an actual Asian guy, an actual black kid who buys that shit all the fucking time, right? Just to fucking look swaggy. Why not have them on the panel as well to mix it up a little bit? Having those people, it will it, kind of give you an, a better understanding as to why these guys and girls have such a big kind of grip on fashion because really and truly there's only like five or six people that are really moving things right and most of it is for a reason there's a reason why people keep buying like you know keep buying those fucking hermes sandals which is a fucking hate strap on it there's a reason why people buy gucci belts the reason why people buy fucking Blins- louis vuitton fucking bags do you know what i mean because it's the best in class it's what people kind of maybe you know hold up on the pedestal wherever it may be all these things are important but there's too much like inside baseball talk i want it to be a bit more broad you know but hey what do i know what do I know? Uh, moving on from this one. What are we saying in the stream chat? Um, this is me and my PJs with the American gangster coat on. <laughs> Angel Ranger, respect Ronaldinho. 
Sorry. Respect his gangster. Respect Ronaldinho, all right? That's not PJs, man. That's called swag, okay? Respect Ronaldinho. Have some respect. <laughs> Models are upset. Exactly. Love your stream so much. Thank you, Mushy Doll. Um, everyone's saying jammies. Okay, cool. No one likes Ronaldinho's vibe. Okay, fair enough. Uh, special Roman, I think the issue is design students have no range. I just graduated from CSM and most of these kids don't know shit about shit outside of art, history and LBGQ art and films. Yeah, that's... That that probably might that 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 probably might be it. Maybe it's just not encouraged, which makes sense though. Really, to be fair, like, I'm, and I'm and I'm saying this from a a streetwear person's point of view, right? A streetwear kid's point of view who kind of discovered fashion through streetwear type of thing. I didn't come through fashion to get to streetwear. So, um, I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say this. I think to be actually great at what you do, you have to be hyper specific. You have to only focus on that one thing. All great people in their actual field aren't you know multi-hyphenates right they're not they don't have slashes slashes all over their name they are hyper focused on what they do and i think in fashion to really separate yourself from the pack you kind of have to be hyper focused you can't afford to have all these other interests you can't start djing you can't have a little side label you can't you know have a boutique that sells vases you can't have a little studio that you have you can't have a little agency nah 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 you just gotta be focused on fucking pattern cutting you gotta be focused on trying to reinvent the bomber jacket every fucking season that's what you gotta do you gotta be focusing on rivets you gotta be fucking on you know on flies on buttons that's what you got to be doing every single day. You have to, because if not, you know, the other people come and take you over. So maybe that's part of it. <laughs> Asad needs more cotton reef. More. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> needs more cotton reef. Fucking hell. Big up Tremaine. Big up Tremaine. What a fucking legend. Anyway, moving on from that. Can I talk a little bit glowingly about Reacher? Yeah, I can. Reacher season two finale happened the other day, episode eight. And I have to be honest, I actually cried. I cried inside. A part of me fucking cried. It got my thug, bad boy, gangster image crumbled when I was watching Reacher on my laptop lying, you know, fucking horizontally with the laptop on the fucking side on the table, right? I absolutely cried because there was a part of that Jack Reacher or Richard, sorry, where essentially the whole story behind it so far, the whole theme of season two has been about friendship, has been about brotherhood in the broad sense, because obviously there's women involved, but you know what I mean, right? And has been about like this kind of like, um, got this kind of pursuit for truth, this pursuit to hold bad actors and bad people accountable, this kind of pursuit for the moral good you know, defeating the morally bankrupt, the evil. That's what comes through on this show. And I'm so happy it did because I started season two and I was quite nervous. I honestly did think when they started introducing all the other side characters involved in Reacher's team, right? The kind of army team he was in back in the day. And there was a lot of women involved. I honestly did think they were going to start pivoting and making it, you know, into how like, um, I forgot that thing with that, that show on Netflix. But I thought they were going to try and make it like, oh, actually, Reach is not the hero. It's the women that are the one that are making him the hero. Because they always do that sort of thing. That's sort of like nonsense gender fucking stuff that they do just to kind of appease people. But they tell the story really well by having the women be really strong in their own way, but without overshadowing Reacher, who's the main sort of like lead character, the main sort of hero you kind of root for. 
that's a really great thing. They don't diminish the women. They don't make them feel less than. The women are still kicking ass. They still have incredible lines, but they are supporting the main character, which is Reacher. And even the main person, the main sort of friendship between Reacher and one of the women is incredible to see on camera. You don't see that a lot often. Most of the friendships you see on TV, especially when they depict a man and a woman, they end up fucking, right? One way or the other, they end up fucking. But I like that in this thing, it stayed incredibly platonic and it was just an incredible, r- rich relationship on screen. Again, I'm talking about this. When you watch it, you're probably going to be like, what, what, what are you talking about? But I fucking love Reacher. When you watch it on screen, it's amazing because they don't even say too many words. Reacher's really silent and they kind of communicate in just expressions. And even the actor isn't that great. The actress is a bit whatever, but they they kind of communicate in these kind of subtle you know expressions in their face and stuff and it comes across incredibly well and i really do recommend you check it out they call this um dad tv because it's just like pure action you know kind of thriller you know whatever fight great fight scenes great shooting scenes and stuff and make, like decent cgi too i think they did really well with the cgi they didn't overdo it when they needed to use it they used it and it's kind of obvious when it happens but it doesn't kind of take you out of the movie you know like some tv shows and stuff where they just they put in too much cgi and it kind of just takes you out of the movie a bit or the tv series and you're not really cocking on to what's going on but i think they did it really well so i really recommend you check out reacher season two um again i won't talk too, too, too much about it because it's a really easy digestible series to watch the episodes are only like what 30 to 40 minutes or maybe top 50 minutes long um you know there's only eight episodes in season two which i think was really beautiful most likely because it got signed on to season three i read they're most likely going to stretch this out and make it like a 10 episode season. It doesn't need to be 10 episodes. I think it, they could, they could perfectly tell the story in six episodes, but eight was perfect. It finished really well. A nice finale. There's a bit of a, something didn't get tied up a little bit, right? It didn't get tied up. Well, the end, the ending, there's a bit of the ending, which I'm not going to spoil for you that it didn't get tied up in really well, but that probably is a good plot point to open up season three with but in general please check out reacher season two really did enjoy it amazing series amazing series and everybody did well right is everybody in terms of putting it together and i really do hope they don't start you know fiddling with it in season three that usually happens yeah all these other people get involved and too many pots too many hands in the fucking pot and then obviously stuff goes to shit so i hope that doesn't happen i really does hope i really do hope so it doesn't happen next move on to this story regarding pitchfork R.I.P. Pitchfork, man. R.I.P. Pitchfork. This is courtesy of Variety. Pitchfork is being folded into GQ as Condé Nast seeks the best path forward for the music publication. The article says as follows. Condé Nast is merging with Pitchfork, the digital music platform, sorry, publication it brought in 2015 with the men's magazine GQ, a move that will result in layoffs at Pitchfork, including the exit of the editor-in-chief Pooja Patel. Anna Wintour... Um, Anna Wintour... Condé Nast Chief Content Officer and Global Editorial Director of Vogue. Yo, she sounds like... Doesn't that sound like the title of fucking Kim Jong-un? Has she got so many fucking titles? Doesn't that... No, or am I bugging? Let me... Hold on. Let's, what is Kim jong Doesn't it... Isn't it... Isn't Kim Jong-un's official title? Yeah, like Supreme Lord. Why has she got a name like that? <laughs> Her title. Kim Jong-un sounds like Supreme Lord of North Korea. Anna Wintour, Condé Nast Chief Content Officer and Global Editorial Director of Vogue. She's your boss of boss, 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 right? Fucking hell, no wonder she makes people so scared. Look at that title. Like, it's, she's basically Kim Jong-un, like, working for Condé Nast, essentially, right? She's Condé Nast-un. 
<laughs> Look at that title. She's fucking Conde Nas Un. That's what she is. She's con. She's Conde Nas Un, right? Anna Winter Jung Un. That's what she fucking is. That's crazy. I just realized that now. Let me just zoom in so you can see this. Look at that. Look at the. Look at the. Look at the. Rel- look at the, how similar their fucking titles are. Don't you find that fucking hilarious? Look at that. Kim Jong Un, Supreme Leader of North Korea. Anna Winter, Conde Nast, Chief Content Officer and Global Editorial Director of Vogue. That's absolutely wild. Continuing. Announced changes in a memo to company staff on Wednesday. Pitchfork has, cult- um, has cult- cultivated a brand of geared around music criticism, um, doling up both generous praise and withering pans. It was founded in 1996 by indie music fan Ryan Schreiber. Um, today we are evolving. Hmm, I wonder where he's from. Um, today we're evolving over at Pitchfork. No, evolving our team at Pitchfork's team structure by bringing the team into the GQ organization. Decision was made after a careful evaluation of Pitchfork's performance and what we believe is the best path forward for the brand, so that our coverage of music can continue to thrive within the company. Both Pitchfork and GQ have unique, valuable ways that they approach music journalism, and we are excited for the new possibilities together. She added the organizational changes. Some of our Pitchfork colleagues will be leaving the company today, right? Will be leaving. I find that phrase funny. They don't want to leave. You're making them leave. So it's not really leaving. You're basically firing them. But these days you have to like treat everybody with kids gloves and not make them feel sad. But I, f- I find that more insulting than just saying firing, right? Um, da, 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 da. A rep for Condé Nast did not, inf- inf- did not have information of how many Pitchfork staffers will be let go. Wintour's memo about pitchfork changes was first reported by Simafor's Max Taney. Now, some thoughts regarding myself. Um, it's a sad day in music, to be fair, because I remember discovering Pitchfork, you know, back in the day when I was going through my little hipster era, hipster phase, indie bands, all this malarkey, right? Going to fucking loads of free vice events and all this sort of shit, right? Be listening to Bombay Bicycle Club and all that nonsense, right? Two Door Cinema Club. That's the kind of era that I remember listening to fucking, oh, viewing Pitchfork. Or maybe the era when I was listening to like Lightspeed Champion, Blood Orange. Um, I can't think of anybody else I'm, I'm thinking of. Um, uh, I can't think of anybody. But anyway, um, The Killers, The Strokes, all that sort of stuff, right? So... I think they did a really good thing in terms of providing a platform for that kind of hipster, very musically obsessed, nerdy point of view. I think that's very important, especially music nowadays, with it being commercialized, with it being really kind of neutered, with it being kind of nerfed, with it being kind of bought out, with it being kind of commercial. I've said that already, whatever it may be. I think it's important to have a platform where you can highlight and be very specific and be very detailed and be very nerdy when it comes to music coverage. Unfortunately, for some reason over the years, people have probably stopped wanting that. I think that's probably why that we are where we're at. Because as great as I think Pitchfork is, and as important as those reviews were, both good and bad for artists and for the culture and for scenes again, because I think in general, the Pitchfork, um, you know, decimal point scoring system basically was the reason why people maybe started their own platforms, had their own YouTube channels, started their own publications as a reaction against Pitchfork. So they've basically contributed and basically been a content or an industry catalyst that people probably don't understand until maybe loads of years have gone by. But at the crux of it, they weren't making money. I think in life nowadays, especially living in a post-pandemic world, it's very black and white now because I think the pandemic and the lockdown kind of reminded us in what is important, especially when it comes to business. And the most important thing for a business really is to be somewhat profitable. 
Now, I'm somebody that's a bit utopian. I sometimes think, especially being an artist at heart, I think it's important to have things that exist just to exist, that don't make any money, just for the sake of it, just for the vibes. Like, there needs to be a guy living in every seaside town that brings in this fresh fish, cooks it at the beach for you, right there in front of you, and gives it to you, and sometimes maybe sells it at a loss just for the experience. He doesn't need to be Jeff Bezos level of an entrepreneur. He just needs to be there as a symbol of like what that life could be like as a representation of that beach seaside town that he lives in. That person needs to exist. They don't always need to open a fucking food truck and fucking franchise and have a fucking source. That's not important. It's important for that person to just be there. So I think Pitchfork is the same thing. Pitchfork needs exactly as um Elm. Um, as a L Mace, as a L Me says, Pitchfork is necessary. So that's the sad thing about it. Like we don't have necessary things just existing in culture for the sake of it. They all have to make money. So if that's the case, then Pitchfork was destined to fail because unfortunately they weren't able to make money. Even when they tried to pivot into pop, when they tried to be a bit more commercial and cover things more in a commercial way, even when they tried to go a bit balls to the wall with hip hop and try and fucking you know, intellectualized fucking sexy red, it still didn't work. So maybe they tried to be all things to all people and it failed. Maybe if they were hyper-specific, that would have worked. But I think at the crux of it as well, and this is again, a, a, the bane of capitalism, is that I also think, and again, maybe I'm giving the guy too much credit, but I think Elon Musk firing, what, 80% of Twitter staff when he bought the company was proof that you don't need a lot of people to successfully run something now maybe it's not running well twitter you can you know x you can talk about how it's it's fallen off whatever it may be but the fact that that place is still going and it's got like 10 percent of the staff that it originally have i think it shows you that a lot of these companies just had bloated staff to just you know for the sake of another round of investment having worked in staff myself i know what that thing was about whereas every year they wanted to basically grow and show that the company was growing and one of the ways to show it's growing was by hiring more staff i don't know why that was but it's a really backwards way to kind of you know legitimize a person's business to see if they're making money but one of the criteria for giving a company investment is like the employee numbers ramping up but obviously when the employees numbers ramp up usually again i haven't owned the business but i would imagine the more people you add to your team the more problems come about, um, the more maybe focus goes away from the actual core, you know, objectives of your company. And maybe the more, the, the, the less of the, the quality kind of decreases over time, unless you obviously, you kind of focus on this, which is hard to kind of, you know, have control direction across so many different fields or areas of the business with so many different individuals. It's so hard to do it. But I think Elon basically proved that you can get away with running those companies with 10% of the staff. So I think a lot of people took notice of that and just, economically financially we're just in different times now people just can't afford to be you know paying people certain salaries when the site itself isn't making much money like imagine what they were paying out in salaries at pitchfork every month to freelancers to salary people it must have been insane compared to what they were getting in in terms of ad dollars so it wasn't making any sense in that regard so i completely get that but on the flip side if you work for pitchfork you can't be too um you know surprised by it because i think the writing was on the wall from the prevalence of like newsletters on Substack. like i subscribed to this one guy called uh, the first floor i forgot what the writer's name is but i'm always checking out his Substack. i'm not i'm not even a paid user on there i just check out some of his links and stuff and read some of the blurb the blogs he puts out and he's an incredible writer and he covers all the stuff that i like to listen to 
in terms of dance music, right? The first floor on Substack. But a lot of people have basically pivoted in to, for, t- 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 to the first floor. A lot of people pivoted into the first floor. A lot of people have pivoted so, so for, to Substack because it's just a better way to kind of, you know, follow people that you're into, um, especially with a musical opinion. And that subscriber model empowers or allows the writer to continue writing about hyper-Pacific interests. Like that guy that writes the first floor usually only writes about electronic slash dance music slash clubbing stuff adjacent. That's all he focused on. He's not going in writing about Taylor Swift. He's not writing about the new Drake record. He's hyper-focused on that one little niche. And he can do that because of Substack, because he's got fans who are paying him $5 or whatever minimum to take that, to kind of keep that kind of stuff going. But with Pitchfork, the only thing that you really would listen or watch or check out Pitchfork for were the reviews, right? Nothing, I don't know, maybe you'd, you would check out their Sunday in review section or whatever, maybe, or maybe you go there for the, for the news in general about latest, you know, festival lineups and shit and who died, um, you know, what person in a band is leaving because of a sexual abuse claim or something, but that was it really. You didn't really probably discover loads of music through there. Uh, maybe just with, again, with the album recommendation thing. So if that's the only section that people are checking out, I would hate to think how much money they weren't bringing in every month. It must have been obscene. And having heard certain editors, like I've heard an editor the other day, an editor for some platform, I think it might have been like the New York or the Atlantic or something. He was like, oh yeah, I've been working a decade plus in this industry. Um, and he basically said he works, a de- he's been working a decade plus as a freelance writer, right? Earning, you'd reckon, a decent salary, especially living in Washington, which if I'm not mistaken is one of the most expensive cities to live in in the US. And he was saying he'd been working a decade plus as a freelancer, having his own schedule from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. <laughs> most days. Imagine, he wakes up at fucking 11 p.m., 11 a.m. in the morning, maybe later, gets out of bed, gets to a coffee shop, types some words and goes back home. And he's making a decent salary doing that. So imagine all those people who were making that type of money consistently all those years. You know, you have to have known the writing was on the wall. That wasn't going to last forever. So, you know, as much as I'm sad for the people that pitchfork, I think, you know, I think they're aware of how it's ending. I'm just more sad that we don't live in a society where you can just have thing exist just for the sake of existing. They don't always have to make money. There's, and the fact that it's going to be folded into GQ, the fact that it's going to be a drop-down section of a menu, or it's going to be a little tab at the top of the screen, is really sad, especially if you've seen the level of writing on GQ. The level of writing on GQ is fucking shit. So they have all these fucking crazy payola articles from certain brands. You know, it's just nonsense. So to have Pitchfork, who kind of credit themselves for having really nerdy, hyper-obsessed, controversial takes on music be absorbed into pitchfork it basically means it's going to be nerfed out it's going to be worth reading it's going to be type obviously completely shit but you can't be too surprised if you're a pitchfork employee the one thing that was funny was this article headline courtesy of variety anna winter kept her sunglasses on the entire time she was telling pitchfork staffers they were getting laid off (laughs) i find this hilarious because this is the greatest example of the clash between people who work a regular job and people who work in fashion. If you work in fashion, this is this is not a surprise to you, right? Because Anna Winter has got this kind of mystique. She's got this image about her. The glasses are part of her brand. It's no surprise that she would be in a meeting with glasses on. She probably doesn't really take them off that often unless she's, you know, whatever. So if she's out publicly or whatever, maybe they're just always on. It's part of her fucking look. The bob, the fucking, you know, the face that looks like it's been hit by a sandblaster and the fucking, you know, and the glasses. This is all part of the image. But regular people that work a regular job, 
seeing somebody firing them with a pair of sunglasses. Imagine if I'm f- doing a Zoom call with my employees with these fucking clout goggles on, <laughs> right? With these Playboy Carty clout goggles on. I'm out here saying, hey, we have to make the tough decision of letting some of you guys go. Um, you know, you'll be getting the confirmations of your packages <laughs> in the next couple of days. <laughs> that is so horrible, right? Doesn't even have the fucking respect to look you in the eye, text them off. And imagine, especially on Zoom, you can barely see people, especially if you've got a million people on Facebook. They're all, they're little kind of fucking square on top of your screen. If she wanted to, she could look down this whole time, but she doesn't. She just keeps them on. Absolutely heinous. But let's read the article. It says, Anna Winter, Cotton Ass, long time fashion. Um, uh, it's famous for singular style trademark the glasses indeed winter take in winter didn't take off her sunglasses the entire time she met with employees of pitchfork this week to tell them that she was losing their jobs after Connor decided to subs, uh, subsume the music criticism site into gq one absolutely bizarre detail from the week is that anna winter seated indoors at a conference table <laughs> did not remove her sunglasses while she was telling us that we we're about to be canned this indecency we've seen from upper management this week is appalling. It's unclear whether Wintour's reported decision to not to remove her eyewear during the meeting was a deliberate <laughs> fashion choice or rather a way to avoid um, having to look at pitchfork employees in the eye. Russell Condé Nast did not respond for a request of comment. In 2009 interview with 60 Minutes, Winter offered an explanation for omnipresent sunglasses. They are seriously useful. I can sit in a show and if I'm bored out of my mind, nobody will notice at this point they've become really an armour. So she explains it there, basically. She explains why she, she didn't take off her sunglasses. But, you know, with these articles, you have to keep clicking. You have to flopping keep clicking. But, yeah, solidarity and love goes out to everybody at Pitchfork who lost their jobs. I really do feel bad for you. Um, and I really do hope you land on your feet. And, obviously, there's loads of avenues now where you can kind of do a lot of coverage on music and stuff. If you've got a decent following, you can obviously have a sub stack, start your YouTube and shit. But, you know, maybe that's not the time to think about those type of things because you just got fired. But um, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind next on the list let's talk about this um news piece courtesy of pbs news hour regarding why a growing number of american men i'm gonna say men all around the world find friendship really hard and i think this is an incredible topic to talk about especially because i've spoken about it ad nauseum myself on here I've, people are very aware of my thoughts when it comes to friendship so I'm going to let the video play and I'm going to obviously offer comment throughout the entirety of it and pause it a number of times. So if you want to check it out yourself and you're listening, please make sure you check it out at the PBS NewsHour channel. It's called Why a Growing Number of American Men Say That They're in a Friendship Recession. I will include the link in the description down below if you want to check it out. Let's play. Stuck in what's been dubbed a friendship recession with 20% of single men now saying they don't have any close friends. And more than half of all men report feeling unsatisfied with the size of their friend groups. I recently traveled to Phoenix to take a closer look at the implications of male loneliness and how some men are confronting it. A great way to start off 2024, just another meetup. On a recent night in Phoenix, a group of men gathered on a rooftop bar to talk about their goals for the new year. I am training for a half marathon. My first one ever. Uh, spend more time with family. Uh, I have my grandparents, like my grandfather, and he'll be 91 this year. Why this nigga so uh, sad, man? Why nigga so sad, man? Cheer up, bro. Make moments like this where I can sit and talk and, you know, look for mentorship and, and, and even offering. This friends group was started by 38-year-old Quincy Winston. 
After leaving the military in 2015, Winston moved to Arizona with his wife Latoya and started working as an IT specialist. Maybe he hasn't got any friends because his name is Quincy Winston. That might be the issue. Maybe if your name is Quincy Winston, maybe that's why you don't have any friends. <laughs> Wincy Quincy. <laughs> <laughs> but for years he says he struggled to make friends here were you feeling lonely and disconnected definitely um especially when it came to having male friends um i didn't have any and that that lack of connection put me in a place where i didn't know exactly what to do about it so in march of 2022 winston turned to the social media platform meetup Yo, Meetup is so important. For serial loners like myself, Meetup is so important. I used to use Meetup.com so much back in the day when I used to travel more, especially when I was doing a lot of my techno tourism and going to different locations in Europe, mostly just Berlin, <laughs> to go and club. Um, I would use Meetup.com to meet people all the time. And it was great because you would basically have these things where usually they're like language exchanges. And what you would do, yes, Koila knows, um, for the tech nerds, yeah, uh, Meetup is was sorry for move on from my point, but Meetup was really popular and booming during the crypto, the beginning of the crypto boom when people were really getting early on the Bitcoin. Like, because I was early on Bitcoin, I was early, but I never bought it. I was just like observing from afar and being involved in some of the things, especially when people were mining and shit right back in the day. And crypto, a lot of the community around crypto was formulated partly on fucking Meetup, especially in, in London. The Silicon's roundabout stuff and people around here, the London scene of crypto guys was primarily on fucking Meetup. It was so sick. Anyway, when I was going to these techno-tourism haunts, I'd go on meetup.com and there'd be these great little language exchanges that they'll do or that they'll just do these meetups of expats or like people passing through. And it'd be great because usually the Meetup um, events were so often that it'll just be like every day of the week basically in a set bar so if a bar was quiet during the week they'd give this meetup place like you know maybe a subsidized cost on the back of the room and maybe you have to pay or maybe sometimes if you buy a drink you know whatever there's usually some sort of deal involved but they usually have like a corner of the room kind of earmarked out to them and one thing that always surprised me every time i went didn't matter if it was the summer the winter whenever they were always full these meetups and it was always a reminder like oh shit i always used to talk about how kind of lonely i was and how little friends that i had but then i'd go to the place i'd think shit bro this this um situation about lack of friendship is really kind of all over the place and then that's when i started to realize that everybody was capping because i always used to get and again this is a really weird segue but it used to kind of annoy me when people would like show off their friends online and would leave especially in my little scene my little creative streetwear art fashion music scene when someone does something really cool or they get like a good job somewhere they'd be writing in the flipping comments oh i'm so proud of you i'm so proud of you all this sort of shit right and they'll be like hold on you don't you don't know this person personally you don't know them you don't you've never been to their house you've never hung out you're just fucking clout chasing because they have a name and you're trying to pretend like you're friends but you're not really friends and i used to use something that kind of would like just annoy me seeing it to myself but then when you go to these kind of things you realize see most people don't really have a big circle of friends. They like to pretend they have, or they like to call people their friends who are mostly acquaintances or work colleagues or something, or like industry peers, but they're not actual friends. That's the thing that you mistake. And when you go to these meetup locations, what you see are 
the realities of life. Most people don't have a big circle of friends because it's just, it's just hard to keep a big circle of friends. The ones that do have circle of friends that are big, ironically enough, they're not always in their friends' comments sucking each other off. They just have their friends. They just exist. The ones who try to, all their friends happen to be cool. It's like, hold on. So all your friends are, are cool. You don't have one friend that is a fucking, um, you know, is a janitor at a fucking elementary school somewhere. You don't have a friend that's a fucking car wash attendant or whatever that fucking name is called or a waiter or something. All your friends happen to have amazing jobs at agencies and brands and stuff. Come on, do over. And decided to invite other men to a local restaurant. I think we went to a restaurant called Papa Do's mm -hmm. and... Uh... I didn't know who would show up or if anybody would show up. It sounds nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it... It is, though, isn't it? Imagine having no friends and then trying to organize a meetup group. Imagine how nervous you'll be. It, you always feel nervous when you put on your own party, when you try and send inf invites to people to come to a dinner you're having. But imagine if you have no friends and then you try to organize a meetup group. Imagine how nervous you'd be feeling about no one turning up <laughs> imagine i can understand them for sure it was it was awkward but once the guys came in and hearing some of their explanations and what they were looking for i found out we had a lot more in common than i thought seven men showed up for that first event are you guys warm which winston okay. says only happened because of his wife you encouraged him to form this group yeah, I wanted him to have a social life, like outside of just us doing things together all the time. That's a good wife. That's a fucking good wife. Because imagine most wives out there, if their partner didn't have any friends, they'd be more than happy with that. No, you stay here with me. Less distractions out there. <laughs> Less danger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Less harlots running around trying to take you away from me. You stay right here, buddy. They actually would like it. Or, you know, or the, the other hellhole to be in. If you're somebody that doesn't have any friends and then your your partner tries to absorb you into their friendship group, that's a different type of hell, right? You have no friends and then you have to be given friends by somebody else. <laughs> that's really embarrassing. So big up this wife. Time, which was great, but I still felt like he needed to have guy time and guy friends. Yeah, she made it very evident that I need to go make some friends. <laughs> go disappear for go a little disappear. bit. Go <laughs> disappear. Now you have some friends Yes, you know, come back, but, you know, go. Yeah, chicken needs a little bit more time. I'm just grabbing the hot dogs right now. The men still meet Pause. up about once a week we'll for activities any, uh, like this backyard barbecue. Winston's meetup group now has nearly 130 members. Wow. It speaks to the need for connection really cool. that your group is that big. I mean, is that, is that how you see it? Yeah, it does. And, you know, with all the technology that we have to keep us more connected to where we can communicate instantly with anyone anywhere but if you notice we don't talk as much mm. we text more mm. a lot gets lost in translation because we just don't have that physical mm. connection um and you know what's really true about that i've noticed that recently with my um introduction or with my prevalence to be on twitter spaces i was like there's so many especially in the football twitter football twitter is amazing football twitter spaces is one of the best communities out there it's fuck the banter is fucking you know second to none but one day recently i was just listening to a space and i was like there's like a hundred people here and it's like saturday at 2 a.m and people are laughing they're busting joke they're ribbing each other there's familiarity in what they're saying to each other so you know they know each other in some personal way 
I was like, a lot of people don't really have friends, innit? Don't you have people they hang out with in real life, actually? Which is actually cool because you get to like, you know, supplement that by doing it online. But it is a, another another kind of example of the realities of it. People like to pretend they have a big social group, but actually, who do you have the chance to speak to a lot really often? Not that many people, but on the internet, there's endless amounts of people that you can speak to and you don't really have the the burden of having to, you know, you don't really have the burden to, you know, be around all the time as like a friend would. You know what I mean? Without having responsibilities, you can just check in when you jump in on Twitter space. But that's something I realized when I was on Twitter spaces recently. The newest member of the group, but I'm also one of the oldest members of the group. Connection is what 61-year-old Robert Montgomery was looking for. What motivated you to join this, this group? My whole thing was, I said, I needed friends. I needed, I didn't have any. I got tired of being, you know, basically isolated at home all the time. And I spent my birthday at home by myself. And I got, and I didn't, I didn't like that. I was like, okay, no, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that, basically. I've done that many a times myself. Maybe I'm psychologically damaged. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Maybe I've got repressed trauma. Maybe. Who knows? But I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating your birthday on your own. If anything, as a man, celebrating a birthday by yourself is maybe the most dignified way to do it. Going outside with a crown, with a balloon. Your big up stinger, Guru. Appreciate you, brother. Bigs up, Sadaz. Shouts out the bussy on your beanie, too. <laughs> it's not a beanie bussy. It's a fucking balaclava, mate. It's not a beanie bussy. What, 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 what are you talking about? This isn't a flipping... This is not a beanie pussy. Look, I'm not... I'm not I'm not flicking my little beanie pussy, all right? Look, I'm not flicking it, okay? You guys think I'm flicking it, but I'm not. It's actually a balaclava. How dare you? How bloody dare you? Honestly. Have some respect, please. Have some respect, okay? This is not a beanie pussy. Look, I'm not flicking my little bean, okay? This is not me flicking my <laughs> bean and making stuff come out. Nothing's coming out there. It's just a... <laughs> It's just a bad cloud. Big up, Stina Guru. Appreciate you. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating your birthday on your own. I honestly do think, as a man, it probably is more dignified and it's probably more manly to actually celebrate it by yourself. And what I mean by that is just toasting yourself with a little drink. There's nothing wrong with, you know, buying yourself a nice bottle of nigger whiskey or AKA Nikai whiskey or whatever, Buffalo Trace, whatever you like to drink, Tiger Piss, whatever, right? And pouring yourself out a nice flute of champagne, a nice little drink of whiskey, maybe racking yourself up a couple of lines, right? Maybe crushing a couple of zannies, maybe crushing some perks or whatever, and just having a quick little drink to, to mark the year. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, exactly. Or putting, a, or, putting a, or putting a, or putting the flipping, you know, putting the flipping Hennessy to the face. That's not actually a more dignified way to celebrate your birthday as a man. Going to a nightclub or going to a bar or restaurant with a crown on and a big badge, like with your age on it and stuff, like that is, that's very, that's very G-A-Y in the most derogatory way possible. Respect to solidarity, to all my LGBTQ people. I'm part of your allegiance, right? I'm in the fucking fight. But that's the most G-A-Y thing you could ever do rock up at a place as a man with a crown on and your fucking nump, your your year how old you are in fucking balloon letters and shit nah real men you know put on their favorite movie they grab a bit of liquor or whatever they like a cigar 
a, a nice fucking beverage, whether it's a Coca Cola, and you make sure you put the flipping glass. Like treat yourself, treat yourself nice, bro. Even if you don't drink booze, put a nice little glass in the freezer. Order yourself a nice tray of ice cube makers from fucking Amazon, those big chunky ones, right? Or get yourself the ones that kind of smashes you like a slush puppy. Put yourself out a nice beverage of Coca Cola, Orange Age, whatever, and put on your favorite movie or something, right? Or your favorite fucking porno scene or something, right? Whatever, Riley Reed, whatever you fucking like. Rack up, put your feet up and have a drink and just celebrate that way. That's actually a far better way to celebrate your birthday than going out with a fucking Burger King crown. Like, have some respect. <laughs> Montgomery is certainly not alone. Only 21% of men in the U.S. say they get emotional support from friends every week. That's compared to 41% of women. Sometimes as men, we struggle to say, I need you. Richard Pause. Reeves is the author of, of Boys and Men, Why the Mod... <laughs> Imagine saying to another man, you need them. What? I don't need anyone, bro. Lone wolf. Obviously, when I say these type of things, I sound psychologically damaged. I understand that. Maybe I am, but fuck it. Keep the facade, keep the facade up, right? Keep that fence up as a man. Bottle everything down and then explode in the flipping Chris Benoit levels of rage. That's what you need to do as a man. Modern male is struggling, why it matters, and what to do about it. What is driving male loneliness? Why do men have such a hard time forming friendships and keeping them as they progress through life? You can't neglect a friendship and expect it to just grow. You have to work at it. You have to find the time. <laughs> and my observation is that many women are just better. <laughs> Young old vibes and Quilla are killing me. <laughs> I need you, chat. He's not letting me go. <laughs> Those are the two <laughs> that are making me laugh. I need you chatting. He's not letting me go. Yo, if you know, you know. If you know, you know. Better at doing that and building it into their lives. <laughs> so it's like a purpose. So Reeves also says over the last four decades, there's been a steady deterioration of male friendships. For men under the age of 30, 15% say they don't have a close friend. And that's up from 3% in 1990 that's maybe the most concerning stat as much as i'm ribbing on this i think it's quite concerning that 15 percent of men under that age don't have one close friend because i think that idea of having a big group of friends is really dumb because in reality most people don't have a big group of friends you'll be really lucky if you do especially if you know them since you're like a teenager or even younger you should really have one or two and you should really those should be the friends that you, that should be the people that you, that you use as a barometer of what friendship actually is. And everybody else is an acquaintance or whatever it may be that has to maybe work their way up, up to achieving that level of familiarity and friendship. That's how it should be. It shouldn't be like everybody that you meet, anybody they add on Instagram, anybody that you fucking DM is your friend. No, that doesn't is the case. Some people you just know, some people you like hanging out with, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're your friend friend. So we have a, a really difficult challenge now of helping men to find places, spaces and ways to be with other men and to sustain those male friendships. Pause. Last year, the U.S. Surgeon General issued an advisory outlining the devastating health effects of loneliness and isolation, including increased risks for heart disease, strokes and dementia. You know what also causes isolation? COVID-19, lockdowns. 
mandatory lockdowns, bro. Government ordained lockdowns. Police patrolling the streets like we're living in fucking 1984. People's account getting shut down for having a difference of opinion on fucking COVID measures. That actually causes fucking loneliness. I wonder what the graph looked like pre-2019. I wonder how bad loneliness was for men pre-2019. Single men. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder. Huh. But again, what do I know? And while men make up slightly less than 50% of the U.S. population, they now account for nearly 80% of all suicides. Jesus Christ. I think these statistics on young male isolation and relatedly of suicide rates is part and parcel of this displacement that we see of time away from friendship. That is gruesome, isn't it? That is gruesome statistic on male suicide, which doesn't get spoke about enough because no one really cares about men, men, you know, male mental, well, men's mental health. No one really gives a fuck. You know, mental health, sexual abuse is mostly things that are kind of the pure leader. You know, people only care about it when it's really women, to be fair. Even people that occupy the LGBT kind of group, they don't really get, you know, the same level of attention that women get when it comes to mental health and sexual abuse, unfortunately. It's really unfortunate, but what can you do? What should we be doing to reverse these trends? We do need to be intentional about male friendship. We need to be intentional about combating against male loneliness and that we have to create spaces that they're not going to create themselves. <laughs> That's at the heart of Men's Shed, a nonprofit that began in Australia in the 1990s and now has 27 locations across the country. So then I have to go through here then. Yeah. The goal here to reach older men who now have the highest rate of suicides in the U.S. I had no idea other men like myself, when they retire from work, they lose. To be fair, if you're this old, you don't need friends. You need someone to look after you. You don't need a friend. Maybe some family, maybe be in a home. Why do you need a buddy for when you can barely move? <laughs> when you can barely put together a coherent sentence. Come on, man. You're old, bro. You're going to expire soon. Like Your time is done. What do you want friends for? Where are you going? Where are you going? What are you talking about? Your conversation, you're going to be talking about football. Your conversation is going to be fucking days long. Game through tiny topics. Come on, man. You're old. Give up, bro. Put your feet up. Close your eyes. Accept reality. Just whatever that warm, fuzzy feeling is, give into it. Step into the door. That's heaven or maybe hell. Come on, bro. Lose their work friends, and then most men struggle to get a circle of new friends. 74 year old Phil Johnson has helped start several men's know. sheds around Minneapolis. <laughs> A couple of times a month, these mostly retired men come together to both work on projects and to simply sit around and chat. Men feel more open about talking to guys like themselves about health <laughs> concerns they may have. You're old. You're meant to have health concerns. Hey, guess what? If you didn't look after yourself in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s, guess what happened? You pay for it in your flipping 50s, 60s and 70s and 80s. No surprise, buddy. Hey, eh? no surprise. You know, and this guy, these kind of boomers still have homes that they refuse to give up. They don't give, they don't pass down their homes to their fucking millennial siblings or family relations or Gen Z's. They don't flipping stand out of the way from in fucking jobs and sectors. They clog up room. 
They take up all the flipping houses. They never fucking sell them or give them to somebody else younger. And they just fucking take up space. Bruh, when your age is advancing, it is time for you to go. That is a natural order of things. It is what it is. Just accept the fucking reality of it. Oh, my flipping body isn't working the way it did. Bruh, you never did a burpee. In fucking 30 years, you never did a burpee. What do you expect your body will be like when you were 70? Huh? You never run up a flight of stairs. What do you expect your body will be like when you're fucking 60? Huh? Come on, bro. A couple years ago. years ago, yeah. So the research shows over and over again that men do best when they're doing something and they can do it uh, together. <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing together? They're painting a fucking... They're painting a crucifix. They're, pla- they're painting one of those platforms they used to hang black people on. <laughs> what what's happening here what are you painting bro when i was a kid and we were in this group it was like a it was like a fraternity kind of like a friendship group actually and we had these great uniforms we'd wear these really amazing all white pristine uniforms we kind of looked swaggy you know like the ditties but instead of black people it was white people instead of showing our faces we had hoods but it was fun it was really fun Great times, you know. Everyone knew their place. Nobody stepped out of line. You know, it was quiet. Our our blonde daughters and blonde wives didn't get raped by these animals and monkeys and fogs. It was awesome. Now you got these fogs and these animals on TVs gyrating around, swinging around these necklaces and shit. It's really weird. What about the men? Think of all the men. Think of all the straight white men out there who are old and advancing without friends. You know, there was a time when we had these guys on leashes, you know, picking up cotton in fields. Now these guys are making cotton reef tracksuits and selling them for hundreds and thousands of dollars and becoming millionaires. How dare they? That's my cotton. That's not your cotton reef to reappropriate and, recon- and recontextualize. Give me back my cotton reef. <laughs> it's a chance for men to share a laugh, but also seek advice. We tackle some tough problems uh, like uh, suicide, which is higher in, in retired men. We've had uh, three men that I know of uh, that have oh, lost shit. their spouses. Oh, oh okay, and- okay. See, he started off that sentence being so. If we said, oh, we had three men in a group who, who died, you know? They were at home watching TV, and then all of a sudden they see little yachi on the screen and they screamed in horror because that little yachi kid looked like one of their former slaves they couldn't they couldn't believe it he was wearing a third hat that was probably worth more than the house i live in now (laughs) and there's always going to be somebody else in the group can say hey here's how i did it here's some ideas uh here's something you should try why has he got an arm brace on why, what's the point? Just let your arm fall off. Why do you have an arm brace on? It's like guys who have like the carpal tunnel in it, right? It's like, bruh, honestly, do a couple of planks a day or something, right? Like, come on, hang from a barber at least once a day. Having carpal tunnel every week is, is a sign of weakness as well. Like, how weak are your wrists, really and truly? Come on, bruh. How weak are your fucking wrists? Like, are you driving trucks cross country? No. Are you delivering fucking parcels all day? No. Then why do you have carpal tunnel if you work in a fucking office? Like, come on, bro. Please. Why does this guy have, a, have, a, have an arm brace? You're 100. It doesn't matter, man. 
<laughs> just amputating. Try <laughs> to do, and no, you're not alone. Yeah, you have brothers. You have a pack. You have a tribe. You have a family away from home. Back in Arizona, I was invited on a morning hike with Quincy Winston's friend group. An outing organized by 29-year-old Nick Crum, who says joining the group has exceeded his expectations. What's that? Black people hiking, yeah? I love that movement as well, by the way. I love how we always have to blackify everything, right? There's a black running clubs. There's black swim them. There's fucking black people hiking. I fucking love it. I love it that there's all these little... Everything has to be blackified. You can't just do stuff. You have to... It always has to be in the context of black. We're a black collective, like, so run. It's like, black, like, we have to, what, we're trying to blackify hiking. Like, what? I, I didn't know walking around was a solely white thing. <laughs> I didn't know going on a walk was a white thing. Like, what the fuck? I didn't know getting some fresh air and disconnecting from your laptop or your phone was a thing that was only specific to the fucking, you know, melanin deficient of our population. What the fuck is this, man? These blackified things are fucking wild. Just go for a walk, bro. You don't need to fucking put on your Beats by Dre. You don't need to wear your Jordan 11s to fucking make this <laughs> somehow a black experience. Just go and do it, bro. No one gives a fuck. Out in nature, like, you know, how many black people have you seen outside in, in around trees in the forest acting as if it's a spiritual awakening because they went to a fucking forest, because they went on a hike, because they went to the beach? Because they went and sat near our ocean. Bro, people have been doing that for hundreds and millions of years. It's not that big of a deal. Come on, bro. It's just grown so much. And we've been able to meet so many quality people. So many people who actually want to be vulnerable. Talk about the things that we like to talk about. Uh, you know, talk about our life. Um, build that genuine connection with one another. That's exactly what Winston says he hoped for when he created the Winston. group. We need each other and we need to support, uplift, encourage, and motivate other men to, you know, seek friendship. Quincy Winston now wants to expand his friend group beyond the Phoenix area. So meetups like this one can become more common for men across the country. Figure out what we can do to bring people together. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm Jeff Bennett in Phoenix. That's fair. Fair enough. Look, I think it's a good thing fundamentally. I know I'm taking a piss, but I think it's a good thing. I think some men need encouragement. Um, I was doing all this stuff for myself. I was searching and seeking these type of things myself. I would go on meet meetups. Um, I'd be attending Reddit meetups. I'd be going on forum meetups. I, I did everything, right? I did it all. Obviously, I didn't really take it further because... I don't really like, as much as I complain about my lack of friends, I don't really make an effort to actually grow and cultivate my group of friends because I don't really like people in real life, really. I kind of like to keep myself to myself. So that maybe explains it. But I think for the guys that need a bit of encouragement, it's good to have these avenues available because friendship is important. I think you do need as a man to have at least one or two group friends. Maybe as a woman, it's different. Maybe women need more more range and maybe women in general are just better at making friends because women are way more emotionally available and open they can just talk about their feelings way better than men can i always talk about how much i repress my feelings and i think men all men do it in all, all manners of ways so i think it's important to have that platform available to talk about certain things it's really 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 important to say that but but you also have to be careful that you don't compare 
your lack of friends to how people act on social media because people on social media be lying they be capping big cap on social media they make it seem like they're all friends but they're not really friends they talk behind each other's back they're all clout chasing um they're all trying to suck off each other whatever it may be but it's not actually based on anything some of it's lots of jealousy envy whatever it may be called but there's no actual real friendship there and i would used to say you know one of the things that terms an actual real friend or classifies a real friend is somebody knowing your actual mom's name until that happens they're not your real friend but again what do i know what do i know let's go to the stream chat what are you guys saying it's a prom that you get with Steve Crowder out here teaching people how to be a good husband when his motherfucker wouldn't know each end of the screwdriver to use. Exactly, NJ Ranger. That's the one thing I'd say as well. I think the, the male, the male, um, what they call it? Um, the inspirational leaders or whatever they're called. I've got the term of it, right? The examples out there aren't great. I wish we get to a place in society where we have like a gentleman's version of fresh and fit. That's what I'd like to see. Again, that Red Pill stuff is nonsense, but I want there to be a cultural evolution because there's definitely, you can rag on Red Pill and you can rag on Stephen Crowder as much as you want and, and fresh and fit, but clearly there's a demand for it. Clearly men, some men want guidance on how to live, how to, you know, um, how to pursue women, you know, what to do in relationships, what kind of hobbies to have, whatever. There's clearly a need for it. I just feel like those guys are the worst examples to follow. They're the worst teachers. They're the worst leaders. Terrible guys, right? Bottom feeder, deplorable, morally bankrupt, you know, lacking in principles, soulless, you know, like horrible people to follow. But there's clearly a need for it. So I would like the evolution there to be like a gentleman's version of Fresh and Fit where there's guys that say, hey, if you want to be a bachelor, if you want to be a fucking man whore, you can do it, but you can do it in a good way. You can actually treat girls nice. You can actually show them a good time. You can actually be a pleasure to hang out with and still be a fucking whore. It's not impossible to do. But they always portray this idea that you have to be this guy that treats people like shit. You know, just like just a nonsense guy that, you know, like looks down on people. And so that's not necessarily how it should be. There should be another way to kind of look at it. But again, I think the guys that live that life are just doing it. They don't want to, you know, take your fucking $49, $49.99 per month. They're not interested. They're just living their life. Do you know what I mean? That's probably the, the, the issue. The guys that don't know shit are the ones that are online trying to sell you stuff. That's a problem, mainly. Um, so big up NJ Ranger. <laughs> Tackle each other. This is just sausage. <laughs> this is just a sausage jujitsu. <laughs> yeah, when you watch jujitsu and you don't care about martial arts. It does look incredibly homoerotic. I think someone said that on Twitter the other day, actually. Like, straight men are the most homoerotic, are actually the most homoerotic people, but they're also the most homophobic. Like, I was like, you know what? That's actually true. Like, like they actually are, because a lot of the stuff that actual, real, full-blooded, you know, masculine straights do is very, very gay. Very gay. But they're also the kind of guys like, oh, two guys are kissing on TV. But it's like, bruh. Why are, you, why are you riding another man's back? Why are you slapping another man's bare buttocks in the fucking shower? Why are you fondling with his dick as a joke? Like, isn't that kind of gay too? But anyway, what do we know? Uh, <laughs> I love hating on boomers as much as Bapa. Exactly the fuss. Um, black yoga groups out here that never take... <laughs> oh my God. Black yoga. What next? Black Pilates. Pilates is too white. I bet, I bet you there's a black Peloton club. I bet you there's a fucking black Peloton club. Blacks for Peloton. BLM Peloton. 
It's a fucking stationary bike, you fucking idiots. Fucking bike black club. That probably exists, isn't it? Thick boy bike black club. Fucking hell. Yeah, Ebony Beach Club. Big up um, um, Elmi or Elmai. Young old vibe says, I think I speak for all women when I say gay. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Uh, <laughs> my uncle's older shit and he goes swimming every morning. Yeah, big up 730 and big up your uncle. Top fucking boy. Top fucking boy. Anyways, uh, <laughs> oh, you guys are too much. You guys are too much. Next on the list, we're gonna talk about. So, um, yes, let's talk about this a little bit. So, um, this topic is three months old from the Guardian, but I thought it was really interesting to read and just the headline itself because. I felt like for the longest time, I was very resistant and I was pushing back on a lot of this stuff. The title on the Guardian article says, two-thirds of CEOs think staff will return to the office five days per week, a survey finds. And at the time, especially during the peak of the pandemic, because I never had the ability or the chance or the or the note or the status at work, whatever that fucking term is, to work from home, when the pandemic happened and lockdown happened, the best thing that happened was the acceptable how it became more widely accepted in most companies everybody from entry level to you know executives were able to work from home for the majority of the time of the pandemic some people had to still go to work but the majority of people could work from home and from a laptop and i think that opened up the possibility of most of us having a better work-life balance especially myself um having worked in you know comp startups especially companies that i actually enjoyed working at what you end up what ends up happening if you work in a, a job that you actually like you end up staying longer. You end up working harder and you end, end up just taking up one more of your time. And even though you're earning more money, you actually don't have a lot more free time to do the things that you enjoy, which is obviously annoying because when you weren't making a lot of money, you had way more free time, but you never had the money to really enjoy your free time. So the working from home thing freed up your time. It allowed you to maybe go to a doctor's appointment in the morning without having to call in sit for work or go during your lunch break. It allowed you to go to the bank. It allowed you maybe to even to take your kids to school if they start before 9am. All these amazing things you could do that you couldn't do if you had to go to a physical office. But I have to say, over time, I'm understanding now why people prefer working in offices. I don't think the issue was the offices. It's more so the culture around it in terms of staying late and whatever it may be that really took up people's time and maybe the kind of like, the, yeah, the, the, the kind of domination of your day. Because sometimes it felt like when you went to work, it wasn't just the nine to five, it was the whole day, especially depending on your seniority. If you're maybe a little bit higher up in terms of managerial shit, you might have to be checking your emails on the way to work. That time all counts. You might have to take, you might only have to take 30 minutes for your lunch you might have to stay another 30 minutes after work. All of a sudden, those are two more hours added to your day. By the time you get back home, it's 8 p.m. So it kind of annexes your time. It dominates everything. So I feel like sometimes, especially, and the, and the commute as well, as Tim Esco says. So I think nowadays, what I think is happening, I feel like, and again, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I feel like most people have a bit more clear separation between work and leisure or work and free time. So when they're on their way to work, like maybe it's just me, but I don't see as many people on the commute, whether they're going home, whether they're going to work or home, who are on their laptop. It's not like a thing anymore. I'm seeing a lot more people just enjoying their commute. 
listening to music, watching a TV series, reading a book, or just staring aimlessly into the sky or at someone's bum. But you don't necessarily see people working. And I think in London especially, you'd see people like fucking tight, like not even like performative, oh, look at me, I've got a laptop. No, they were fucking working for real. And I feel like more people now are not doing that. So I feel like nowadays, there's a bit more separation between work and home. So even if we do have to turn back into the office, which most articles are saying we have to, and I do agree, I'm seeing a lot more, again, I'm sure some of you guys who are listening or the ones who are in the stream chat will agree with me. If you work in an office, you will know that um, a lot of companies now are requiring you to go at least two days a week or sometimes three days a week into the office. And even though it's a bit of a bummer, after many, many months of staying at home alone sometimes, it's quite nice to be able to go into the office and see your colleagues. The only problem is sometimes when you go in, it can be quite distracting. Because you haven't seen each other for so long, you want to fucking dump everything that you've kind of found out or that you've learned or f- share something, a life update. So it doesn't, it's not the most productive way to spend your day in the office, but just being in there with other people is quite beneficial. Like sometimes you can get more done in a couple of hours at work, at your desk, than you can ever done at home sometimes because you're so distracted and because you're at just home. And I always think, and again, maybe I'm, again, I'm, I'm a bit in a minority. I'm a bit... I'm talking out of my own ass here because I sometimes don't do this, but I think it's important to have a to have your home be a, like a sanctuary. It doesn't matter if you're living in a shoebox, in a cupboard, you know, you're unhoused. You have to have your home to you have, your house has to be separate from what you work at. So bringing your work home all the time, having it stare at you is probably not the best way to go about life. Like, you know, even if it means like having a corner where you can kind of maybe like physically close your laptop and maybe turn your your seat to the other way. I think it's important to put a lot of separation between, okay, I'm, I'm working, I'm not working. I'm asleep. I'm not taking my laptop in bed with me. Do you know what I mean? That's where I fucking sleep and fuck nothing else. I'm on a chair, I'm in a city, I'm watching a movie or whatever. Do you know what I mean? But mixing those things can be a little bit weird. But I do like how now everyone is kind of reprioritizing or you know, figuring out what's most important and kind of dialing into that. So even though we're going to be returning back to work, it's going to be a what it's going to be a way more, how do you say way more constructive? Maybe that's the word I'm trying to look for, but whatever. Um, so this is an article again, a recent one taken from Forbes. The future of work is a return to office inevitable. Um, and it says the following, um, it says, has the hybrid work bubble burst? According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the number of Americans working from home has fallen dramatically since its pandemic highs. Today, fewer than 26% of U.S. households still have someone working remotely at least one a day, which is a significant drop from the early 2021 peak of 37%. It's highly surprising that few people are working from home now, that activities from schooling and socializing have resumed in person. However, the data does suggest that the bright hybrid future many predicting might not materialize after all. While some employees still offer hybrid work, um, working and will continue to, there's a clear drive to get people back into the office or to enforce stricter hybrid arrangements. In the past, an employer might have to ask staff to come to the office two or three days, but now many are increasing specifics, indoors, office and days of introduction for more structure and regain control. But you know who I think ruined this? You know who I think ruined this? Girl bosses and, girl, um, and, and boy bosses, right? Those guys and girls online who do those oh come to work with me things i think they're the ones that ruined working from home for all of us those fucking idiots that work these nonsense jobs that don't matter right product managers that can't code who barely know how to fucking you know send an email are are here making a hundred thousand a year and they're bragging about how little work they do on social media they're posting entire vlogs 
where they spend the majority of their time in the office cafeteria, in the office gym, having a swim, going to the fucking coffee shop around the corner, buying flowers at lunch, all this nonsense instead of doing work. I think they ruined working from home for the rest of us because most of us, most of us, most of us, when we work from home, we, 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 we don't take it for granted. We take it as a, as a, as a privilege. We take it as some, as somewhat as an honor, as somewhat of a, you know, as a gift, right? Especially if you, if you're used to, especially someone like me, that's, I spent the majority of my career working in retail and service industry, right? So earning shit salaries, working in terrible places where it's soul destroying kind of the office and working nine to five was almost like a, it was almost like my, um, my salvation. Oh, finally I've got, I get to work like Monday to Friday, like instead of just working all weekend and all public holidays and shit, finally I get like a set structure and shit, right? Even though when you go work in an office, you, so, you soon realize that you give up a lot, like socially, like, you know, you don't really make as many friends in the office. Um, you know, there's not a lot of like teamwork going on there. It's a lot more snaky environment in an office compared to like, working in a bar or restaurants and shit. But obviously you have a bit more, you know, structure, you have a bit more, um, you know, whatever. You, you can kind of plan your, your day, your year a bit more working in an office, right? But there are some people out there that really want to get away with the most without doing anything. And I think they're the ones that ruined it for us. The ones who want to get away with the most in life without doing anything are the ones that ruined working from home for us. The ones who are bragging online bragging online about how little work they do fucked up for all of us and i despise those humans but it's also incredible to see so many of them getting let let go recently from a lot of tech startups like twitch and what and what else right are let going a lot of these people who are earning like hundreds of thousands of dollars doing absolutely nothing right retweeting things sharing things on fucking social media writing quippy t- tweets and shit and headlines on emails are now being let go because nobody needs a fucking specific marketing communication manager you can just roll that into one job and pay that person half of what you're paying the other person do you know what I mean so that's the thing that's happening and i'm happy to see a return to work i really really am so um what are we saying here what are we saying here what are you guys saying here i know a guy who works custom service and uh, for a gym in bricky he lives in gambia wow seven day really that's fucking sick i love that that's the vibe man that's the actual vibe remote like um being remote uh independent right um uh what's the what's the term called um oh i forgot what the term is called but i remember you know what i like though i think credit to these people i remember when i went to i went to travel to visit a friend of mine who was working there at the time in nicaragua and i did a bit of stuff you know i kind of traversed a little bit through honduras and a few other people right? but mostly in nicaragua and i remember meeting this guy in a hostel um in nicaragua i forgot the name of it i think the hostel had a had like a foot iconography if you've ever been to the nicaragua in the city of leon or leon you'll know there's a hostel there that's got like a foot that's got like an orange sort of orange foot like kind of logo right really cool little hostel and i remember being a dude there from brazil back in the day maybe 20 2008 or something right and he was a uh, he was doing the whole remote working thing but i didn't know that existed i didn't know that was a thing so I remember trying to figure it out, trying to ask him, what's going on? How do you do this, man? How do you just like, because you know, we got talking about drinks. And he was like, yeah, I'll just travel in it and work. This is how I'm, I'm, I'm currently working now. But I'm traveling through Central America, going to go to South America, back to Brazil to go visit my family and then back up here again because my girlfriend lives here and shit. I was like, bro, but how? But how? All right? I couldn't figure out how. And he wouldn't tell me. He, gatekeep, he, gate, he was the gatekeeper of remote working of being location independent, right? Of being a digital nomad. That's what it's called. He was gatekeeping digital nomad culture 
And I honestly do think he did a good thing. Because now everybody knows about being a digital nomad. It's been absolutely rinsed. He did well to gatekeep it. I understand why he was gatekeeping it. Because now everybody is doing... Everybody is a personal assistant to somebody in a far-flung location. Everyone's doing, as Seven Dirty said, some sort of office work, you know, reception thing, customer service from a location that you don't need me to be next to the office. You know I mean, that's the, it, that's the thing. Like, people just, people kill it too much, you know? That's the issue. They rinse it too much. So I understand why that guy was very um, resistant um, to tell me why he was able to afford that kind of lifestyle because now everybody does it they've co-opted it they've rinsed it and i kind of get why he was being so guarded about it i really do understand i really do honestly i really understand but at the time imagine back then you're you're seeing somebody like traveling and he's super young and so you're like how are you doing this bro how are you doing this and then later on he tells you or later on you find out and you're like you know what now i get it because everybody's fucking rinsing this shit so i fully understand i fully fully understand moving on moving on moving on so as most of you guys know pharrell williams debuted um his full 2024 collection for louis vuitton he's the creative director over there took over from virgil abloh r.i.p and the entire collection is pretty shit not gonna lie i did review a little bit of it on the pod recently and i didn't like any of it i think it was um very repetitive kind of looked like the bits that he did in the resort collection i saw elements of the first collection i saw even some looks or one particular look with a kilt that looked like something virgil would have designed himself when he was at louis vuitton r.i.p and obviously something he did it off-white so it was just repetitive and nonsense but the best thing to come out of the louis vuitton collection was definitely the timberlands collaboration the best and worst thing i think it was a little bit of a worse thing because it was the um it was the easiest thing to kind of pull from, right? It was already a, a brand and a cultural product and item that we're all familiar with and they were all kind of love. Um, so it kind of pulled at those type of high strings. And, you know, there wasn't any risk taken because it's a brand everyone's familiar with, um, especially the silhouette. But I also think it was impressive because he was able to take Louis Vuitton and kind of lux them up. So he was able to take a Timberland and add a kind of bit of luxe, a little bit of spark, a little bit of sprinkle to them. And obviously, reintroduce some models which I don't think they've been introduced before. One of the models that I think is a real standout in this Louis Vuitton collaboration are the models here on the top left. This um, almost rig, I think it's like a rigger boot. A rig boot or something like that, right? Um, I know Red Wings do a type of version of this type of boot. And essentially, the boot I'm talking about is basically a boot without laces that comes up to about your calf kind of you know what you imagine a firefighter would wear or something somebody would wear if they're working in a farm you know kind of high up boots that can maybe take all the rain you can stuff your fucking trousers in they're really you know they're slip resistant wet resistant all that good stuff thermal lining and shit and basically indestructible and usually have a little bit of a steel toe for construction whatever malarkey i think these models um there's one that's like a that's like fire height there's one that goes just above your ankle and there's one that just goes just in between with a kind of you know with a buckle type design i think those three are the best designs when it comes to taking a regular Louis, a regular timberlands boot and then just putting the louis vuitton emblem all over it as you see here with the classic kind of like is it eight laces eight eyelets i think timberland you've got the classic timberland boot here with the louis vuitton monogram on the collar here and i think what they've also done louis vuitton or what pharrell's done with the collaboration is i think he's added a sole he's kind of thickened the sole if i'm not mistaken the sole's kind of been and maybe thickened or maybe not maybe it's just maybe they've just changed the material 
Um, maybe I'm not too sure, but it feels like the sole, the outsole is a tiny bit thicker. So those are pretty cool. These boots here at the bottom are horrendous. These look like the boots that you see some kid in Harlem wearing, right? The Extendo um, Timberlands are not for me. And then you've got the really low ones that are not also not for me. But I think the classic ones with those are all right. But I, you know, I'm just not a fan of the of the emblems and whatever it may be. And I think if you look even closer, I, you can't really see them on the picture, but on the suede, they're kind of embossed on the new buck. You kind of got like an embossed LV all over the top of the upper. But I do like the difference. There's a version of the Louis Vuitton um, Timberlands, one that has the Timberland logo on the back. And then on the collar, you have the monogram, right? The LV. And another version, as you can see here, has a thinner sole. One, and then it's got the LV where the Timberland sign is meant to be and then the collar is just a plain black leather i do like that kind of flip on them that's kind of cool but i think the best design is definitely this rigger boot here right those two rigger boots but 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 the most obscene the most obscene version of them is this version the most obscene version is this version this version of the louis vuitton boot collaboration with timberland is absolutely obscene because I just found out the price. I found out the price of this boot. And it's again, if you're listening, it's just a brown boot, a, a, a Timberlands boot, obviously, shape-wise, with the Louis Vuitton monogram all over the top. And it's got a gold embossed Louis Vuitton logo. Sorry, Timberland logo on the back, gold eyelets. I want you to guess how much you think this boot is. How much you think this boot was going to retail for? I want you to guess how much you think it's going to retail for. Five, four three two one guess what seventy five thousand dollars yes you guessed it seventy five thousand dollars this boot's gonna go for seventy five <laughs> some people don't earn that in a fucking year and they're making one boot seventy five thousand uh, allegedly it's made out of real authentic louis vuitton leather and it's, it's got 25 24 karat gold or something on the eyelets and i think maybe there's some gold actual gold on the fucking heel logo here Seventy-five thousand dollars, allegedly that's the price that's been banded around now maybe because of the backlash they could bring it down to 50 but it's going to be above 10k it's going to be above 10k can, definitely can you imagine paying $75,000 for a pair of Timberlands. That most people, this is the thing that's wild about them. Most people will see you wearing, again, I care about fashion, I care about shoes. Most of you don't give a fuck about this shit. If you saw somebody walking down the street with these, you just think you got them from some local Chinaman down the road or the Indian guy down the road or some barbershop down the road. You wouldn't even think they were real. That's a funny thing. If you saw somebody, you think they're just customs. Okay, he's got some cool shoes there. You'd think he got them from some African man selling shoes on the street. You wouldn't actually think they were real. That's a funny thing. You pay 75000 and most people that you would encounter will think they're fucking bootleg anyway. <laughs> they think or, they, or they think they're ugly. That's what they'd think. Most people think they're ugly. And look at the, look at the addition. You pay 75000 and look what they've got as an added bonus. When you flip the tongue down, you've got this gold lv um under underneath the tongue so timberland's tongues when you're wearing timberland's i think the new york way is to have the laces kind of open and sometimes have the flap i'm uh, sorry the the tongue kind of flapping over the front and i guess pharrell in terms of that he did um 
an LV logo that's upside down when it's upwards, but then when you flip it, it's obviously the right way around. People can see the logo. So it's very gaudy, very flashy, which is interesting because Pharrell recently has sold a lot of his stuff, right? Drake recently bought a lot of his chains as a way to like kind of sneak this and um, push a T. He didn't actually sneak this in. He actually did this in. And he's done a lot of other auctions. And he's basically spoken about, you know, getting rid of that part of his life. He's always spoken about how cringy he felt looking back at some of his old content when he used to floss, even though I used to love that era of fucking Pharrell, right? That N.E.R.D. in search of Pharrell, where he'd be bragging about getting on a private jet, driving a McLaren. Like, I found out about a lot of those things because of Pharrell's fucking bars. So to see him kind of, you know, push that thing to the side and be doing the fucking fake fucking Buddha shit is fucking annoying. But it's funny to see him reject consumerism, reject fucking, you know, um, obstantaneous you know fucking examples of wealth but then go to fucking Louis Vuitton and do a collaboration with Timberlands and then just cover the shit in gold (laughs) you know and try and sell you a pair of boots that you can buy normally for a hundred bucks and maybe if you want to look online you can find a China replica factory somewhere that can give you this for fucking 50 he's trying to sell you this for 75 thousand dollars 75 in the uk 75 pounds in the euro in europe 75 euros because they don't fuck around with the prices nowadays they try to lie and say oh because of the financial economy but no they just they just want to charge you the same so it doesn't matter if you buy these in paris if you buy these in london if you buy these in new york you're paying 75,000. and most likely you have to get on a list they probably won't make a lot of them you know, they'll, they'll do the same thing they always do. They'll create artificial scarcity and the only people you'll see wearing them are Asian people, Middle Eastern people and some ballers from fucking Africa. That's it. But they're so fucking horrendous. Legitimately one of the worst, most disgusting things I've ever seen in my entire life are these boots. Like horrendous. Really, really, really fucking horrendous. And if anything, for me, oh shit, there's gold on two sides. I, 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 what you call I apologize. I assumed that gold, when it folds over, was only on the inside of the tongue. No, there's a gold emblem, a gold badge. That's probably some carrot. Maybe it's higher than 24 carats. And there's also the same gold logo badge on the front side of the tongue. So you've got two bits of gold on the front of your fucking shoe. <laughs> and, and it's all engraved with Louis Vuitton written on the side. Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton. Jesus Christ, bro. Yuck it's so gaudy this is a if you wanted an example of a shoe that personified nigger this is it this is niggery this is the most niggery issue i've ever seen in my entire life like <laughs> like there's gonna be a there's gonna be a guy out there who's gonna take off that badge and put on the chain i'm sure somebody's gonna take that badge off and put on the chain i'm i'm almost sure i'm almost sure of it someone's gonna take off that badge and put on the chain i'm almost certain or they're gonna put on a belt or they're gonna use it as a late as a as a tag on the side of their boot but that is one of the most awful things i've ever seen honestly honestly exactly congolese uncle exactly the most niggery thing i've ever seen in my entire life some guy in atlanta is going to be freaking these some uncle in fucking in canning town some uncle some congolese tonton is going to be fucking freaking these somewhere along the line you know he's going to be pulling up at the barbershop wearing these you know what i mean don don's gonna be absolutely stepping in these some guy some jit 
in Florida somewhere is going to be sparkling in these. You know. You know. Come on, man. What the hell is this, bro? Horrendous. Gordy. Hate it. Disgusting. And, you know, I predict probably Pharrell won't, won't see out his contract at, at Louis Vuitton. I don't think that's happening. I think the stuff is pretty shit. Um, I think it's pretty average as a designer. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. And I expect sooner rather than later, it's going to probably end in tears. I have a feeling it will probably, probably, probably end in flipping tears. But again, what do I know? What do I bloody know? Next on the list, let's talk about some stuff that happened that I've seen recently. So, over and under, big up over and under for posting this clip or this post actually on Twitter um, regarding the Travis Scotts and Jordan Jumpman Jacks um, University Red will be releasing in summer 2024, retailing at $200. Now, I've spoken about how much I like these, more so than the other ones, which I think are called, I forgot the name of them, they're fucking awful, but I think these are far better because if I'm not, maybe I'm the only one seeing these. I think these are really good CrossFit shoes. These look like the best version of a real cross-training slash CrossFit shoe. And what I mean by that, I mean by the best shoe that you could wear to do weightlifting, to do a bit of running on the fucking treadmill, to jump on the rowing machine. Like, because again, maybe I'm different because I like to do all those things when I go to the gym. But I think there aren't a lot of shoes that you can wear nowadays where you can jump on the treadmill, you can ride a bike, yeah, I mean, you could do the rowing machine, you, well, all that good stuff. Like, there's not a lot of places that you can do it with different shoes. So I like that these kind of represent that era of that cross-training shoe with the strap on the front, the plain kind of upper, um, and just the profile of it where it kind of comes just above your ankle. I think they'll work really well. I think they're the, probably the best version of it, especially nowadays that the Metcons from Nike, which are a specific shoe that they make for CrossFit, are quite terrible now. The latest editions of them are fucking terrible. So I like that these specific shoes are the ones that kind of talk to that. And again, the upper is similar to like an Air Trainer 1, if you're familiar with that shoe. But then it has like a backward swoosh on it. Um, and then just has, you know, some nice basic kind of panels on the upper. And obviously color combos, two or three colors makes it easy and it works really well. You obviously have the Cactus Jack sort of like, M, you know, logo at the back as well with the stitched up um, smiley face you have some um, script here i'm not sure if that's chinese or japanese um did not not offend anybody but there's a strap here there's a logo stitched on here on the front strap you've got a nice bit of mesh on the toe box as well the upper if i'm not mistaken looking at it here is some sort of tumbled lever i love the fact that they have these invisible seams on the toe box as well i, I kind of miss that i'm not gonna lie i really do miss the invisible seams I used to do that often and when i mean invisible seams i just mean you know regular shoes panels have these stitching bits that you can see but i like that on these type of shoes back in the days to have them especially on running shoes i think of loads of the early nike undercover collaborations they'd have these kind of um you know invisible kind of seams that exist here where there's basically kind of like if i'm not mistaken i think they're like heat press they're heat glued and sometimes the stitching is done on the other side the like underneath you can kind of see some bits here poking through so they're kind of underneath and obviously they're kind of glued together on the upper which are really nice it creates this nice little clean look on the outside it's kind of flush so i kind of like there's a mix between those sort of like invisible seams and obviously the normal sort of like stitching bits and bobs on the strap and where the eye lace stays are i'm not a fan of the laces maybe it's just me but i don't like these like really thick 
um, unnecessary cotton laces. I kind of like them to be a bit, especially if you're look, if you kind of got athletic shoes on, I think the nylon-y type laces kind of drop a bit better. I think these shoes kind of like clunk up in the lace, in the lace holes a bit too much. They don't really give you much room to kind of move with when it comes to tying your laces. And just not the right ones. I think maybe with more like leisure shoes that you're not really going to do a lot of running and functioning in, maybe it's different. Or maybe the whole point of the shoe is not to actually work out. Who knows? But I would prefer to, pro- I would probably change the laces into something a little bit more, you know, um, looser than those type of laces in general. But I think otherwise than that, I love them. Um, I'm not really too fond of the big Jack logo on the underneath of the sole. I don't need everyone to know what I'm wearing, have logos on it. But again, everyone wants to have their branding put on somewhere. But I do like the backwards swoosh on this. I think it looks works really well. Um, the color combo with the white and the black and the red looks really cool. It's kind of like a reverse panda with the red swoosh. So that is pretty nice. Um, but the only concerning thing, if you want to work in a gym, there's not a lot of grip on this on this outsole. The tread is not really grippy. It's obviously made more in the design of a lifestyle shoe. This might kind of, I don't know if this is sort of meant to replicate the surface of the moon or something or some sort of desert surface, but it's clearly not made with the intention to be a grippy, good shoe to kind of, you know, do workouts in. It's mostly a leisure shoe, unfortunately. Um, I don't know if this outsole also is bad for people that are going to wear them daily because they might wear down really easily and then you end up with a really slippy, you know, outsole which kind of is similar to maybe like a wallaby after a period of time. Wallabies don't really have a lot of wear in them. Actually, after a while, they kind of, you know, they end up going bald, especially if you wear the shoes like my, I do. So that might be a bit of a concern. But apart from that, I'm fond of them. And maybe again, another point is what I'm thinking. There's not a lot of flex in these shoes, isn't it? Usually when you have shoes like this, the outsole has a lot of lines um, here where, you, where your shoe can flex and bend. If you check Metcons, you'll see that. And maybe you're just most athletic shoes, but there's not a lot of flex in these shoes. They look kind of rigid and flat. So I wonder if that would be an issue for people like myself who want to work out in them. But I'm going to, I'm definitely going to try and buy them. Um, I know some people are saying, yeah, they're going to be 1000 I'm going to try and get them on a re- on retail when they do drop $200. Meant to drop in the summer of 2024. So I'm hoping they do drop soon because I definitely want to purchase those. I definitely, definitely, definitely want to purchase those. Honestly, I can't wait. I really, 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 really can't wait. Um, next on the list here, we can talk about these regarding the Comme des Garçons and Comme des Garçons en plus Nike AirTech TL 2.5. Now, I don't know much about the Nike TL 2.5s. I know a lot about the Nike TLs in general. Back in the day, the Nike TLs and the TNs were basically the most expensive Nike Air Maxes you can get, I think. Maybe outside of the Nike Air Max 98s. I think Air Max 98s might have been the most expensive ones you could purchase back in the day. They were like 150 pounds, maybe more in like catalogs, right? Little catalogs and whatever nonsense else people used to purchase shoes in. Actually, I do miss catalogs because they used to have some sick colorways. But back in the day, Air Maxes were really expensive. They were like 100 plus, right? And um, whatever, your, your parents are never going to buy that shit for you. But I never knew much about the TLs. But TLs, I guess, is a version now, 2.5. Maybe this is a newer model. But I do remember seeing, you know, some of my teachers in school wearing TLs from back in the day. Now, these are going to be really popular, I think. Because, obviously, they've got the branding of Comme des Garçons. Um, Home Plus, obviously, on the upper. And, obviously, if you know anything about Comme des Garçons, you know that Home Plus is their, their, their highest sort of like level of Comme des Garçons. It's not Comme des Garçons play. So, obviously, people want that prestige on their feet. And they're easy to wear. They made these basically in all black, all white, and a mixture of black and white. Everyone's going to like these. Everybody's going to like these, right? No, no one person's not going to like these. And the fact that the guy that's featured on this thing, his hand is a black dude, I think is indication on the universal appeal. I think these will end up being 
the Sakai of this year because I feel like every year there's a Sakai version. There's like a high end collaboration with a sneaker brand that just captures everyone's imagination. Everyone fucking wears them, right? And I think these, when they eventually drop, will end up being the Sakai of the season because I've seen so many what I deem to be normies posting about them on the timeline oh my god these look good oh my god these look good especially because they've got the branding on the hill with the come to gusto home plus and the uppers look a little bit different to what you'd expect the air max to look like right you've got the classic kind of tl shape almost like the wave design you've got these amazing little slits everywhere and then on the white black and white pair you've got the addition of all the little white and bits on the top of it you've got the nice little swoosh in the front nice little detail that kind of separates you from the bet from the rest i like that the fact that they're contrasting on all the shoes of the black pair on the black pair the the, the swoosh in the front is white on the all white pair the swoosh in the front is black and on the black and white pair on the bit that's black, the switch is still white. So you get all those hits of Nike, Nike, Nike. And then I'm assuming on the back of the heel, as you can see, you can't really see too much on these pictures. But on the back of the heel, there's also branding of Comme des Garçons Home Plus that's written on the heel that's also contrasting. So people that like their collaborations to scream, you want the collaborations to say, Gucci, bah, from the side of the street or from the other side of the street, you're going to love these because they definitely scream that and they look fucking cool. So... I like the look of them. I think they're going to look great. One thing I just noticed looking at the pictures, it looks like the all-white pair, the airbag unit has kind of been whited out. No, is that, oh, I'm mistaken. The airbag unit is really, that's so interesting. I've never seen that before. So it's all been like wiped, no, whited out. So it's usually airbag units are like a contrasting color so you can see through them. They've kind of blocked them out a little bit. That's pretty cool. I don't mind that design. Is that kind of like a black t- so the white has been whited out the blacks have been blacked out and vice versa so i quite like that i think it looks pretty cool so i guess expect these to drop when they're gonna drop most likely you won't get a pair because they're gonna fly out of the doors but if you can find a pair i guess try and find them but i don't think they'll be easy to find they're gonna be so 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 difficult to get a hold of i almost guarantee it's probably not even worth trying but hey dreams are dreams Next on the list, we've got another brand here, courtesy of the Comme des Garçons group, which is Junior Watanabe. And these are one of the worst shoes I've ever seen in my life. And I think this is proof that if you collaborate with the right brand, people will suck off anything. Because I've seen people on the timeline going crazy for these. And I look at them, and I'm like, God almighty, please no. Please no. And these are the Junior Watanabe New Balance 1906 Loafer. Yes, you heard that right. Junior Watanabe has made a New Balance loafer. So it's a loafer, New Balance. Or it's a New Balance in this design of a loafer. Absolutely horrendous. I already think the loafer trend is already buried and dead, even though I still have my, you know, GH Bass, um, you know, tassel loafers, and I wear them from time to time. I think the whole loafer trend has been exhausted guys online who are always tweeting about loafers are the new air force ones all this sort of nonsense right all these fucking you know um rehabilitated tech bros that try and get into fashion they annoy me with their fucking takes on loafers i fucking hate it it's been exhausted it's dead move on to something else please go, go back to paraboots or something we don't want to hear you on the loafer thing but if you're gonna wear loafers wear loafers there's plenty to choose from from gucci loafers to gh bass what loafers that i have to loafers from high street brands there's plenty to choose from but what you shouldn't be doing is trying to wear a sneaker version of a loafer. Like, that is so horrible. I've always hated, like, hybrid shoes. I remember back in the day, Nike had, like, a dress shoe. 
They had like a Lula Soul. I don't know if you guys remember this from back in the day, like when Oxfords were really popular and everyone wanted to wear a fucking brogue. Nike did like a brogue style shoe that had like a Luna Soul, which is one of their newer, te- that was one of the technology that was new at the time. It's sort of like soft cushion mid- midsole that was put on a shoe and I fucking hated them. I, they made me vomit, especially because I used to kind of quote unquote sell them when I was working at 1948, the Nike store in Shoreditch back in the day. And I never understood why people liked those shoes. Like, why do you want a hybrid? Why do you want a shoe that looks one way at the top? It's like business at the top and then casual at the bottom. I didn't understand that mix. Like, just wear your trainers. Like, it's not that deep. But I guess some people want the mix. They want to be able to wear a loafer with a fucking New Balance. So basically what you've got is that you've got the, you know, New Balance, what you'd call midsole out uh, outsole midsole and a bit of the fucking bottom of the outsole and then at the top you kind of got a loafer kind of put on you know basically transplanted on top of them so for me they look fucking awful maybe they'll be more comfortable for people that don't like to wear actual loafers i think there's a there's a bit of discipline and a bit of like uncomfortableness that has to happen to wear a pair of quote-unquote hard sole shoes I think most people have been pussified, unfortunately. So they would rather wear, like, you know, soft shoes that help them to walk in places, which is why people wear fucking Crocs socially, even though Crocs should be, you know, only worn by people who are going on a shop, on a groceries run, or people who work in fucking restaurants on their feet all day. You shouldn't be casually walking around wearing Crocs, but people are so pussified nowadays, they don't want to risk anything. They don't want to fucking bleed for fashion right they say they have a passion for fashion but really they don't really because they want fucking you know pillows on their feet everywhere they go maybe you're gonna wear these but for me who likes to bleed my feet into submission right who likes to purposely buy shoes that probably don't fit just because of the look and the size who likes to kind of just do everything for the for the look i'm definitely not on these i'm opposed to them 100 i hate everything about them i think they shouldn't exist I think they should be thrown into the nearest volcano along with whatever palace make. I think they're fucking awful. I really do. But I'm sure they're going to be a success. I'm sure they're going to be a barnstorming success, but I hate everything about them. I really fucking do. Like, you know, there's not a colorway that makes these make sense. Like even the white pair, look at the white pair. Look how horrible the white pair looks with the white, with the black outsole and midsole all together. And then like, look at that. That looks like some, you know what these look like? These look like a Kiko Costandino, how he's pronounced his surname, sorry. That these are like a Kiko shoe. If you're into Kiko, I imagine this is stuff that you'd wear, right? And you'd be all dour looking, right? You'd be carrying a little tote bag, looking all sad. This is what I imagine you'd be wearing if you're into Kiko. Always sad, always arguing about fucking furniture and fucking architecture online. Do you know what I mean? Like listening to fucking burial on your way to work. This is what I'd imagine you wearing. Absolutely horrendous. Hate them, hate them, hate them. And, you know, I'm in the minority because people are going to still buy them and they're most likely going to be flying off the shelves. They're most likely going to be flying. And when I mean flying, I mean flying off the shelves. I guarantee you, I all but guarantee you. And then lastly on the Comte de Garçon New Balance tip, let's make a addition and a shout out to the best one so far. The best one I've seen so far is these. Nike Comte de Garçon um, New Balance 860 V2s. These might be the best ones so far. And again, no idea when they drop. I'm assuming later this year because it's full winter 2024. But maybe it might be the beginning of the new year. Who knows? But these are the best ones. And why are they the best ones? Unfortunately, with New Balance collaborations... The only way to do them well is just to copy the OG colorways. That's what they've got. They've got the basic gray and they've got the basic kind of black colorway. 
That's all you can do. Even if the model's been updated, which this is a kind of, I think it might have been an updated model. It's an 860 V2, so I'm assuming there's a regular 860. Let's actually check that, actually. Let me actually check that just to be completely sure. Let me see New Balance um, 860 OG. I'm assuming it's just the same, maybe update model. Okay, cool. The, the OG has a bit more plastic on it, right? As you can see there, it's a bit more plasticky looking. And then I guess the updated version, um, as you can see, bear with me a second. The updated version. Yep, no, it's not the updated version. That's, that's just Hoko only, aren't The updated version here is a bit more flat, you know? It's a bit more flat. And I kind of, again, people are saying in the comments they don't really like them too much, but I quite like these. I think these might be the best of the collaborations so far that I've seen from Comme des Garçons, um, adjacent brands, including Junior Watanabe. I think these ones are definitely the best ones for me anyway. I would definitely wear these more so than the other ones I've seen personally um, for what I kind of am into. So you've got this pair that's like a gray colorway um, with the same sort of like upper that you expect to see on the 860 almost this kind of wave type of pattern on the upper you've got a good combination of suede mesh and i guess some leather hits if i'm not mistaken this looks like 3m that's a really cool if i'm not mistaken so on the toe box you've got a 3m panel here and i think you've got more 3m at the back so if somebody takes a flash or you're running across the street trying to you know self-expire yourself that your feet are gonna light up like a fucking christmas tree that's pretty cool and obviously you've got the addition of the suede new buck and shit and they're gonna wear in really well i like that and the big like end hit and then of course the thing that i like the most about these collaborations is that you have the nice little com de garçon logo on the tongue so obviously when you wear them the best thing to do is this is to always wear trousers or pants that that kind of jack up right you kind of you want to have a bit of distance between the hem of your pant and the front of your and the top of the tongue so that people can see that these new balances aren't from walmart right you didn't buy these new balances from fucking vinted you didn't buy them secondhand from fucking ebay these are new balances that are different you can't buy these in fucking you know in footlocker and shit these new balances are made by comme de garçon so you need to have that little you know that's what you need to do you need to make sure that you're wearing trousers that don't go above across over your shoes and you also need to make sure maybe extra bonus points wear white socks just to break up the flow so people can concentrate on the shoes because when you wear white socks people can't help but look down and when they look down and see the top of the tongue they'll be like oh he's a bad boy he wears comme de garçon and new balances nice to see um the black player is probably not too not for me i think the gray ones are probably better but there's also a black, almost navyish type of colorway, um, which are quite nice as well. But I think the greys are probably the best in that sort of like combination. But I do like the shape of them. I think they look pretty cool. And then again, as you says here, it's got the Comme des Garçons home on the flipping tongue as well. So I think these are definitely my favorite. These are definitely, definitely, 100% my favorite so far. And the ones that I've seen in the ones that I've seen. And then to end, for now, the Comme des Garçons loving let's check the hockey one one ones right so hockey one one is a japanese-based brand that makes really great running shoes um i wear a bunch of them i've worn a bunch of them over my times of running and working out and shit and they're some of the most comfortable shoes ever they've got really incredible thick soles that are really bouncy and shit especially if you live in an urban environment like i do or you just can't run properly they definitely help to kind of you know accommodate for poor running form and sometimes force you to run well so they're really nice shoes but they've now proliferated or now become a little bit of a lifestyle shoe because a lot of the colors and the designs are really cool and you can easily wear them daily as you're walking around you so um black com the garçon which is obviously um the com de garçon where everything is usually black uh and it's made by i forgot the name the girl i think she's a student 
who Ray Kawakura met once, whatever, I forgot the fucking name, the whole law behind it, but regardless, um, Black Comme de Garçon have made another collaboration, this time in Hockey One One, and you've got this incredible pair of the TC10s, um, all black hockey, hockey shoe, um, which has got these rings on the top, and it's completely black. Like, just looks incredible. I, I love these. These are going to be completely blacked out with these ring emblems here that almost look like earrings or wedding bands. I'm not sure what they're meant to, you know, uh, look like, or maybe key rings that you put on your keys, actually. But they look really cool. And you've got this really nice wave, um, almost topography type of looking upper, you know? I really like that. But they've been completely, completely blacked out. And the only sort of like Comme des Garçons black thing you've got on it hit is that you've got the little hit here on the tongue. Under the tongue, actually not anywhere else, you've got the hit of the Comme des Garçons black. Nowhere else on the shoe have you seen the fucking branding. Maybe the whole point of it is to wear them and people see the gold rings. And the gold rings are on the outside of each foot. So these are going to be quite... And again, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to see loads of high fashion girlies and boys wearing these walking around the streets of london and shit so i really like these they look really cool um again a nice collaboration from the whole comedy gasso group and i can't wait to see more from them going forward so i really do like these really do like these so tc ones i think tc one zeros curse your comedy gasso and i do recommend you check them out when they do eventually come out probably sometime at the end of this year sometime at the end of this year i do imagine but again what do i know what do i know anyway my friends it's been two hours and 30 minutes thank you for tuning in to the agassino zinga show episode number 741 it's been a pleasure to have your company if it's your first time tuning in please make sure you like the stream down below that'd be greatly appreciated if you're listening to the podcast app of this show please leave me a five-star review. That would also be greatly appreciated. And yeah, man, I'll see all you guys again very, very soon. The details of my tune of the day can be found in the show note description down below. The tune of the day for me is obviously a tribute to the one and only Silent Servant who unfortunately passed away with his partner and the one and only um, The Silent Moon. So big up and respect to him and his family. So please, for my sake and his sake, play a bit of Silent um, silent servant you know these days and remembrance of him i'm going to be playing the death of decadence for the audio listeners if you're listening to the video obviously you're watching it you won't hear it because i don't want to get copyright strikes and shit but please check out yourself it's called silent De sorry silent servant the track is called death of decadence check it out if you haven't already silent servant death of decadence available wherever you check out music R.I.P. to Silent Servant, R.I.P. to his partner Simone Ling, and R.I.P. to the Soft Moon. And big up the chat. Appreciate all of you for joining in and everybody else listening to this podcast after the fact. I appreciate you too. And I'll see you all again very soon. But for now, take care and be safe, everybody. Mm -hmm.